Welcome everyone to the Two Tongues Podcast. Consider this your invitation to join Kyle and Chris on a journey through our minds. Where we explore the questions that have fascinated us for as long as we can remember. Could anarchy actually work? Does God exist? And just how did the cosmos get here anyway? Let me be the Virgil to your Dante, the Sacagawea to your Lewis and Clark. Let's take the guided tour through the dark chambers of our unconscious, seeking answers to the most important and unsettled questions of our shared existence. Ready or not, here we go. Here we go. Hell yeah. Steve gets me pumped every time, dude. Welcome, welcome everyone. You know, one of the, I think we should add a question to the, uh, you know, the questions that have fascinated us for our entire lives. Yeah, which what we should one add question that? that I think we should add is, did people know that Elton John was gay before he like came out as gay? Did people know <laughs> that Elton John's glasses meant that he may have perhaps been gay? Had sex with men. Uh, you, know? Well, you know what? Because back then, back then, homosexuality was not obviously as uh, as accept- acceptable. You know. Yeah. Um, people just people just ignored it because he was such a good musician. Like, Hell nah, yeah. No, nope, not having that conversation. How are you going to be mad at Benny and the Jets? Mm-mm, mm-mm. Mm-mm. Oh, he's wearing those glasses and those and those crazy colorful suits. No, he's just, he's eccentric. That's same the thing. with like Liberace. Eccentric. Yeah. Uh, Rob Halford in a different way. Lots of leather. Lots of spikes. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, these are the these are the things that I think we should add to those questions. All right. All right. Sounds good. All right. So this is another early morning podcast. It seems like it's probably going to become more regular because, uh, well, because it's when the house is the most quiet and we yeah. have opportunity. Whatever we have opportunities, I guess. But so today on the podcast. So listen, uh, Kyle and I had an idea. Uh, actually, I think I kind of mentioned it to Kyle that did, yeah. that it would be because we listen to podcasts obviously um people listening to this also listen to podcasts that and and part of what made your um that first solo episode that you did so good when you were talking was it the first one no probably not but when so, you were talking about the um that other podcast yeah yeah that was the, the first, first one so, yeah um so I th- we thought hey if it, if that, if it worked for you and everyone's listening to podcasts. Maybe when we come across interesting episodes, we could just talk about them on our podcast. And I thought that was great, especially when the other one of us hasn't heard the podcast. I know you listened to the one we're going to talk about today. Yeah. So uh, I started talking about that before we were on, and I figured I'd just shut the hell up and save it for when we are on. Uh, so I listened to it at work, and I mean. As we'll get into, it's like some heady stuff, you oh, know. It's super heady. So yeah. I mean, I've got people coming up to me. Hey, do you do you guys have any rutabacca? Can you show me where the hostas are? What should I put in my yard in this area? You know, it's like so. I, I had a hard time concentrating, but I picked up some stuff. Listen, uh, this is uh, listen. You brought up an interesting point about your day to day, where people come up to you and ask you those sorts of questions. Um, I really hope that from now on, if you don't already do this, that you'll just make very confident recommendations with no basis whatsoever dude. like oh oh in that spot rhododendron for yeah, sure dude. you want a big rhododendron <laughs> when i first started in i mean you know i'm not gonna say that i would uh well yeah no sometimes i would bullshit people because it's like i don't fucking know but i can't like tell you that i don't because then we're gonna look like idiots <laughs> right um so i would just try to use like 
as much common sense as I could, but just like, I think you should put this there. And I'm just <laughs> rolling those dice. Yeah. But now yeah. I'm a lot better at it now. So, well, that's what happens, man. We, we talked yeah. about that earlier about, uh, pe- people just fake it till they make it. Yep. And that's like, not that's not just a thing people say. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that actually happens with everyone in every case <clears throat> who's ever had any job or done anything for the first time yeah, for dude. every, for, for <laughs> all of time. Your voice is like trying to turn you into Mr. T right now. You're like, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, um, <clears throat> all right. So, Today we're going to talk about um, a guy named Ian McGilchrist, and first of all, we talked about him before. Do you? Oh, really? No, I don't. All right. So, do you remember when we were doing our? uh, It may may have been the music episode, and I was talking to you about the betweenness. Oh, and it was like, yeah, yeah. It's not just about the notes and the music. It's it's about the notes and the silence, and the music itself is something that happens between the notes and the silence. So it's there's something that he's calling betweenness. Um, Anyway. So that was Ian McGilchrist. This is the same guy. Gotcha. So I've heard of this, like the book, The Master and His Emissary. I've probably heard about it from Jordan Peterson, to be fair. Yeah. Um, but I've definitely heard about that book before. Yeah, me too. And I wondered about that if I if I heard about it from from Jordan Peterson or not. In any case, um, I bought this on audiobook, The Master and His Emissary, and I started listening to it about a year ago. And bec- like exactly what you said, the guy. First of all, he's very, 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 very smart. Yeah, Ian McGilchrist, and he's very, very British, and uh, he, you know, like we're going to read some of these quotes from the ep from the podcast, and you'll see what I mean. Like just the way British people form their sentences, yeah, it makes it harder for me to like think the thought that he, that he's trying to plant in my head. I'm like, I have to convert this from British from British to American before I can digest it. Yeah, so it, it is it is difficult. It's funny. I was thinking earlier today about how. I mean, this has nothing to do with this as an aside, but how weird, like, British rappers sound. Oh, yeah. You know, they just, like, have this, the, the British accent. The, I don't I can't do it, but, you know, it's funny. It is funny. It cracks me up. They they have different ways of speaking, even just, like, normal British people. Different turns of phrase. Yep, and, yep. You know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Chelsea hates British people, just so I just want to put that out in the ether. She's well, racist against British people. Well, I would love to know why, but I think... What we should be doing with Chelsea is making her watch a bunch of awesome British TV. Yeah, until she gets it. Chelsea's problem with British people, uh, she oh. makes it makes her hate them. It makes me just, I don't hate them, but I, I do. I agree with her that people give British people more like leeway because of the accent. British people are dumb. Like there are a <laughs> lot. There are a lot of stupid, like dumb as a fucking brick British people. Yeah. You know, but the, and there's smart British people oh, too. Oh yeah, of course. No, but for you. some reason, they get credit. They get a little bit more credit because of the accent. I it's. Fu- it, I mean, that's 100 percent true. I, I don't even have to like think about it because yeah. as soon as you say it, I'm like, yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Anybody who speaks with a British accent immediately sounds more intelligent. Yeah. Uh, that's not true for all of them because you can have like a hack, like a there's Hackney some, accent or whatever it's yeah, called. Yeah, there's some ugly British accents. Um, I met a, a girl in college uh, whose name is escaping me and I feel awful about that because she was a sweet girl but she was um, from France oh. and uh, she was studying abroad you know yeah. and um, I got to talking to her about France and she could not stop laughing about all of my assumptions about France okay because I'm like you just yeah. have baguettes every day yeah. for breakfast <laughs> it's like everything's like Beauty and the Beast you're walking through a village until you stumble upon Paris mm-hmm. and everything gets grand and everybody's dressed like you know a fashion model they're all thin they're eating they're eating cheese and wine and they're like sipping macchiatos yeah you know um, yeah it's just like high fashion and high culture and she's just looking at me like 
dude. Yeah. <laughs> just France is just a place like any other place. It's full of assholes and hillbillies and just like just oh, like yeah. America. You don't think about that European hillbillies, you know? Mm. But they exist. They out there. Yeah, there's I mean I've never been to Transylvania, but I imagine. That being said, Ian Ian McGillicuddy, Ian McGilchrist is (laughs) his name, uh, is not one of those. He's a very erudite, well-spoken British man. He's not not a dummy like some of them. Yeah, he reminds me of, uh, now the name's going to slip my mind, we were talking about, was it Gore Vidal and... um, and uh, William William F. Buckley. Buckley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so he he speaks like that. Okay, guys. Ian McGilchrist, just cause let's, why don't we go ahead and get into this fucking thing? Uh, he is a psychiatrist and a lecturer at Oxford University. So, uh, very famous academic, and he wrote a very famous book uh, called uh, "The Master and His Emissary." And the book is about the brain, the, the right, brain. the right hemisphere and the left hemisphere. Why is the brain built the way it is, mm-hmm. and? What is it that the right hemisphere does and the left hemisphere does? And it's way more interesting than you can imagine. Reminds me of that Bo Burnham. I am the right brain. You know, oh, that yeah, one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Bo Burnham. But uh, anyways, another aside we don't need to go off on. I Bo love- Burnham's awesome. That's it. Shout out to Bo Burnham. Bo, yo. For sure. Uh, a born Bostonian. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. So um, I want to do the intro here uh, because, like I said, I, I did listen to part of the McGilchrist uh, book on audio. I brought that up because I never finished it on audio, and, yeah. the, and the reason is it's it's very hard to read. It's yeah. equally hard to listen to. Yeah. It's so complicated. It's like you wouldn't believe how often you ha- I had to stop and rewind it. Mm-hmm. I say rewind. You know what I mean? Um, fast forward, fast in reverse. Yeah, I had to forward. Fa- I had to reverse forward fast on the thing, so I could re-listen to like sentences over and over again. It's yeah. fucking terrible. But all right, listen. I actually think that books like that might be better to be able to to read them because then you can stop and look things up, not have to rewind. Yes, you know. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So I I bought uh, Jordan Peterson's Maps of Meaning, and I read it partly. Um, just ordinary, just the ordinary way. And then I saw it pop up on Audible. Mm-hmm. So I bought it and I listened to the rest of it on audio. And then I went back and I listened to it like, uh, I mean, I kind of I hesitate to say this example because I feel like maybe I should be embarrassed about it, but I'm not embarrassed about it. So I'm going to say, um, you ever listened to the audio of uh, Harry Potter? Uh-huh. And that guy, Jim Dale, who does the voices yeah. is amazingly yeah. talented. And uh, I, I actually bought, uh, went out to the library. I rented uh, the audio, or the, I rented the uh, the actual Harry Potter book um, to read uh, to read with my ex wife's daughter. And I just played Jim Dale, and we just read along with him because he nice. does a way better job than I could ever do. The voices and whatnot. So yeah. I, t- I tell you that because I did that with the uh, Maps of Meaning. So okay. so once I, I got through like a quarter of the book, and then I bought the audio. Yeah. Um, I just let Jordan read it to me and I read along with him nice. like I was a fucking third grader I've actually been doing that with uh, Michael Malice's book The New Right nice for, for uh, an episode of this and podcast he, and he so. reads he reads yeah. the okay yep. yeah and that's awesome yep why not man why not have the author read the book Joe Joe Rogan always always says how important that is and it, you know yeah I have Thaddeus Russell's uh, Renegade History of the United States and it's not Thaddeus Russell reading it yeah. and it the book suffers for it mm. um there's Especially just, if you know, if you've heard the author oh, speak, 100%. you know, yeah. And Thaddeus is, uh, he's a unique guy. He talks a certain way. He's coolest, you know, he's he's just a cool dude. And this author is like uh, buttoned up, like audible, audio book. Oh, reader, yeah. You know, it just doesn't work. Mm. All right. Still a good book, though, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. How about we get into this fucking thing? We're trying. All right. We're so, trying. All right, guys. So, um, 
uh, how do I how do I want to intro this? First of all, I want to say that when we're talking about the right hemisphere and the left hemisphere of the brain, you guys have have been familiar, I'm sure, with this coming up when somebody has a stroke. So mm. if you know anybody that has a stroke, I have an aunt who had a stroke like in her 40s, paralyzed on one half of her body, and a a right um, a right hemisphere stroke um, makes it so they can't feel the left side of their body. So it's an opposite thing. So the first thing I wanted to point out is when we talk about right brain, left brain, that it, it has something to do with function on only one side of your body, but the opposite side as you would think. So yeah. a, a right brain injury, it doesn't affect the right side of your body. It affects the left side of your body and vice versa. So first thing first, I want to point that out. When we're talking about left brain or right brain, you want to think about sort of opposites when, when you're translating it to the bi- biology. Yep. I don't know why that is, you know, kind of, kind of reminds me of like when we were doing that episode about, um, it wasn't an episode, it was a segment about senses mm-hmm. and, uh, we were talking about vision and you know, how, how vision works, how the image is like reversed and upside down and your brain translates it right side up. Yeah. That's kind of what comes to my mind, uh, with this right brain, left brain business. It's not intuitive. So that's the first thing. Got it. All right. The next thing I want, I want to bring up is. Motherfucking Jordan Peterson, JP. because of this, an episode wouldn't of ours wouldn't be complete without several references to JB. One of these days, we're gonna go an episode without talking about him. It's not gonna be soon because I <laughs> I'm preparing to do a Maps of Meaning episode. All right. So I don't know when that's coming, but that's coming. All right. Well, that's that's cool. That's exciting. Probably have to uh, tweet out to Jordan Peterson when I release the episode to see if he'll uh, respond. Retweet it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So here we go. The reason I bring up Jordan Peterson is because he talks about left brain, right brain in a context that's similar to this and is super interesting. And you tell me if you know what, I'm, what I mean. When Jordan Peterson says that uh, mythologically or psychologically that the world is broken up into categories, it's bifurcated. That's what the word he uses. Split in half. Order and chaos. Order and chaos. Yeah. So everything in the world he, he would describe as being made up of order and chaos, or maybe the known and the unknown. Yeah. And you can imagine this, you know, just imagine you're a human being, because you are one. Um, every experience you have, uh, you know, imparts some knowledge to you that you didn't know before you had that experience. So you're constantly transforming the experience of the world from unknown things into known things. And that's how your whole fucking life is. So this is what he's this is what he's getting at: uh, the un the unknown versus the known order versus chaos. And this corresponds to the left brain and the right brain mm-hmm. in a weird way. Um, so there's this chaos principle that's associated with the right brain, and there is a, an order principle that's associated with the left hemisphere. Uh, I think I think that's right. I got that reverse thing mixed up in my head. It's, I'm going to struggle to keep it straight this whole episode. Yeah. So I apologize for that. Uh, but it corresponds to that to, to yeah. the brain, and in, in certain ways. Mm-hmm. And then he also talks about things about um, I don't know if you remember hearing this example where he mentioned uh, experiments where people have the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere of their brain separated. Surgically, mm-hmm. so that you cut you cut the membrane that connects one hemisphere to the other, and what's weird is that people who have that happen to them have two consciousnesses. Whoa. They have two personalities that don't know about the other, That's and crazy. and they manifest themselves you know one time and and another time in the other side of of the brain, and they're two separate consciousnesses, which is I don't know what to make of that. That's I, I don't know what to make of that. Weird to sell. What do you think about that? Um, yeah, I don't, 
That's very strange. I don't know what to think about that either. Um, Especially if you're one of these people that connects uh, a religious uh, component, like to, like a spirit or soul component to the consciousness. Mm-hmm. Because if you cut your brain in half and you have two consciousnesses, do you suddenly have two souls? Are you fucking Voldemort? Are you Voldemort now? You're putting, yeah. you're putting pe- horcruxes in your... In, I mean, you see what I'm saying? It's pretty weird. Definitely. Uh, I wonder if... The study of uh, what you know, the like multiple personality disease. I wonder if there's any kind of, you know, like um, separation of brain function in those people. That's you a, know, that's a really good question. Yeah, too bad we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> too bad we don't have an actual psychologist on this podcast. You, um, you guys can look that up. Let us know. <laughs> All right. So the other thing about Jordan Peterson that's relevant to this is that he says very fucking cool thing that I've been struggling with since I first heard him say it. It goes like this. Something like this. Something like this. All right, so biology evolves based on the changing environment. So you can just imagine the evolutionary landscape of of the planet Earth. And as things change, you know, the weather changes or the different animals develop, predators develop or whatever it is, that all of the creatures that exist they will adapt to these changes, and that's what, evolu- that's what drives evolution. The, the landscape changes, nature changes, and the creatures have to adapt. So he says this. He says, why is it that the brain, going all the way back as early as we have ev- evidence of, is split into two? And the, yeah. two? and the two halves of the brain interpret the world and experience the world completely differently. Yeah. He says this. Why? Did nature evolve the brain to be like that? Unless the world is like that. So the so the brain is adapted to the world. The world is chaos and order. That's why the brain is split in two at function completely differently. So he makes this argument that's fucking awesome that says nature evolved the brain uh, to exist the way it does, split in two. Because it reflects the way the world is, that we, we're adapted to the way the world is. So there's some secret about the world that we, don't, that we don't exactly understand, that we're adapted to, that means what I just said, that the world is two different things somehow, and that we, we need two separate brains to make sense of it. Mm. What do you think of that? It's pretty crazy. Uh, Jordan Peterson said this? Jordan Mother okay. Peterson. Um, yeah, it sounded like something Jordan Peterson had said before. I wasn't sure if it was Ian McGilchrist or him, but, um, I, I don't, I mean, I guess uh, to say that the war, everything is made up of two things. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I like, it's hard to make sense of that because, yeah, because it, there's not, it doesn't mean much the way that, way, the way that we, we said it. it, it's because I don't know what it means. But it means something, and that's the mystery. You know, it's like, so you can either think of it two ways. You can think that uh, the human brain evolved that way um, randomly, and because it was uh, adaptively successful, it continued, and evolution let it continue. So you could say maybe it's random. But even if you say that, random things only get passed on when they work. So even if you say that a that a split brain was a random development, yeah, um, you you have you have to admit that it continues into human into you know human evolution because it actually reflects something that's true about the world. Even if it's random, even if it's not like I just spelled it out to you like it was somehow on purpose. Yeah. Um. 
I guess I'm not 100% sure that I don't know that I would say that it definitely tells us something true about the world. Um, but I mean, I don't, I also don't think it's, it's nonsensical to argue that. I think that's fine. But I think, I think that our sensory perception doesn't tell us anything about truth. I think it tells us about how to survive, about mm-hmm. how, you know, to, how to grab, um, like right, fitness, fitness payoff points. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? But I'm not talking about, uh, I'm not exactly talking about that. Uh, when I say, what I, what I, what I mean is, the fact that the human brain, the fact that every brain, not even human brains, every yeah. brain that's ever existed has been has been this way, <coughs> that it's significant. It tells us something true about the world in the sense that it exists. Anything that exists is something true about the world, right? If if, if it doesn't, you see what I'm I, saying? No, I na- don't. Na- nature created it, so there's something about nature that bring that brings rise to a split brain. So even though I don't understand what that meaning is, I know that a split brain tells me something about nature because nature created a spl- split brain. Sure, um, I guess. But what what kind of? I, I guess we'll get into the insight that 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 that, that brings. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, the insight is abstract from the Peterson perspective. The insight for, for that is nature is such that it gives rise to a split brain, and that that works in the world because somehow the world is split. I'm not saying it's two things the way you said exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying somehow the world is best understood in two ways that don't that don't uh, aren't cohesive. Okay. And we'll talk. We'll, we'll get there. So I think that's very important um, that the <coughs> right right brain and left brain views of the world don't they don't they're not cohesive. They don't go yeah. together. Um, and that may have something to do with why they're separate. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but it also doesn't make sense. You know, it's like. If you experience something in the world and your right brain experiences it this way and your left brain experiences it this way, um, your perception of it is not of two separate things. It's of one cohesive thing. Yeah. But the right version of it and the left version of it don't make any sense together. But that nonsense that I'm talking about is how you and I exist in the, in the universe. That's, that's how that's every experience we have is like that. Yeah. So there's something weird and abstract about that, that Jordan Peterson, I'm not saying he understands it or that I've got, I've got much of a deeper understanding from his explanation yeah. other than that it's, that it's significant because nature produced it. Okay. So if we're trying to figure out what, uh, you know, if we're trying to figure out the deepest questions of, of, uh, you know, the world, um, you know, I don't know that there's any. I don't know that there's any more important question to consider. You know, you and I are human beings. We exist with a brain like this, and we didn't get here uh, randomly. Our evolution was guided by nature and produced this thing that we have. Anyway, I, I think we're getting off track. I want to continue the intro with some McGilchrist stuff that wasn't from the podcast. It was from the book. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so I told you guys that I listened to this on audio, and I had to stop. I. <laughs> I, um, I didn't have to stop, but like getting back into it once you stop after a cer- certain period of time, it's difficult. It's like you might as well start the damn book over again. Um, but I did have a couple things written down, and uh, one we actually talked about them before, but I want to read them just to give some introduction to the podcast. So in the book, The Master and His Emissary, and by the way, I shall explain, The Master and the, His Emissary is what 
McGilchrist means when he's talking about the right brain and the left brain. So one of them he calls the master, one of them he calls the emissary, and we'll we'll get there. Okay, got it. All right, so here's here's stuff. A couple quotes from the actual book. The importance of metaphor is that it underlies all forms of understanding whatsoever. What do you think of that? The importance of metaphor is that it underlines all forms of understanding. <coughs> it's the thing that underlines all forms of understanding. Metaphor. What is a fucking metaphor? What is a metaphor, Kyle? An imprecise way of describing something. Comparing one thing to another. Yeah. It's making a point by comparing or contrasting one thing to another. And he's saying that's the basis of all knowledge, yep. of all understanding. Would you agree with that? Um, I mean, yeah, I think so. Uh, I don't. I don't it, really. It, it makes know. it makes sense to me. Yeah, it makes sense. I think uh, that human beings. I, I I think that we kind of think in metaphor, so in in some ways, mm, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I I would be willing to bet that before we had language that we thought in like, like we would think in comparisons. Like that's the only thing we would have. I yeah. mean, you know, like this is kind of like that. You know, I don't know. I don't no, know if no, that makes I, sense to you. But. I know absolutely because just just imagine if if there's two objects in the world and that's it. Mm -hmm. You know, a duck and a fucking dog or something. That's all <laughs> that exists. Um, you can't say anything about the duck or the dog without using a comparison or, sure. or contrasting. You could just say, what? You only have two things. Yeah. So what is a duck? A duck is all these, is like, is all these things like a dog yeah. and all these things not like a dog. That's what a duck is. Yeah, yeah. And th there would be no other way for you to uh, define it. Yep. So, and and th it's related to the argument I make about, about God when I try to define God. Is, as I say, you know, from the mystic experience, it tells you that God is one. Everything is one. If there's only God, there's nothing to compare or contrast it to. That's why God is unknowable. That's yeah. why the idea of God is unknowable. Yeah, yeah. Because that because that's exactly the by definition. All right, so I think that's interesting. It's going to come back up, by the way. <laughs> uh, because Excuse the, me. Because Jesus. the because the comparing and contrasting we're talking about in this sentence has something to do with comparing and contrasting the right and the left experience of the world. Got it. All right. The next. Um, Next quote, the hemispheres require separation as much as connection. Okay. The hemispheres can't function without being separate in some ways and connected in others. It's weird. If they were completely connected or completely separate, you wouldn't have the consciousness that we have. You'd have like two consciousnesses? Like if, if they were separate, you'd have two apparently. And if they were together, you'd just be like... You, you would have one that wouldn't function, according to Ian McGilchrist. Got it. That the left brain and the right brain's experience are so different and contradictory. He he calls it a paradox. He says that that is the definition of paradox. Um, you know that that people c coming to realize that they experience things in these in these kind of contradictory ways. And yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll ex explain that in a minute. And then here's a longer quote, and this is the one that we talked about from the music podcast. So, so let me let me give it to you. And in the context here is he's discussing the relationship between language and music, and he says. It is to be expected that music would be largely, but not exclusively, a right hemisphere phenomenon. There are, however, other respects in which music is a natural candidate for the concerns of the right hemisphere. It is the relations between things, more than the entities in isolation, that are of primary importance to the right hemisphere. Music consists entirely of relations, betweenness. The notes mean nothing by themselves. The tension between the notes and between the notes and the silence, uh, 
with which they live in, in reciprocal indebtedness are everything. See, that's an example of his British, his fancy British way of speaking, tripping me up. Let me read it again. The tension between the notes and between notes and the silence with, <coughs> with which they live in reciprocal indebtedness are everything. Melody, harmony, and rhythm each lie in the gaps, and yet the betweenness is only what it is because of the notes themselves. And he says, actually, music isn't just in the gaps any more than it's just in the notes. It is in the whole that the notes and silence make together. Yeah. Each note becomes transformed by the context in which it lies. What we mean by music is not just any conglomeration of notes, but one in which the whole creates a powerful enough but one in which the whole created is powerful enough to make each note live in a new way, a way that it had never done before. That's awesome. It is awesome. That's a great, yeah. Now he's talking about music in, in a really eloquent way, like he's thought about a lot, but he's a psychologist, or psychiatrist rather, who studied the mind. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's interesting. The key, the, the best part of that for me, the key part of it is... You know, he starts out talking about how it's about the spaces in between. And honestly, I am kind of like, no, it's not just about the spaces in between. But then he like comes in and he's like, it's not any more just about the spaces in between as it is about just the notes. Yep. It's a synthesis. It is a synthesis. But then that's interesting because I think that's so important because a synthesis is something like a process. It's, it's yeah. something like a living process. Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, like the the point he's making is that music wouldn't be music without silence. It yeah. needs it needs to have gaps, and if it was just gaps, it would it wouldn't have, it wouldn't be music either. It would you know it needs the notes, um, and it's the betweenness between the yeah. the notes and the silence. This is what I think he's the analogy he's talking about there has to do with the right brain and the left brain, that you need both. Yeah. And it's the it's the betweenness of the right and the left view of the world that gives us this consciousness that we that we that we experience. So that's a good intro. Um, I know I remember in that podcast the way that he phrased the brain being separate was he called it asymmetric. Oh yeah, we're gonna get there. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. We're gonna get there because uh, well, asymmetric means that it's it's not uh, if you if you cut it down the middle, you don't have. The same, same side, the yeah. same on each side, or that's lateral symmetry. I think they call that, or bilateral symmetry. Um, so yeah, something like that. But uh, it's it's in here. It's in here. So anyway, this podcast here basically is a conversation between uh, you know our our favorite uh, psych psychologist Jordan Peterson and this author Ian McGilchrist, this professor Ian, Ian McGilchrist. Um, Ian's got obviously. Um, well, I won't, I won't steal his thunder. We talked enough about Jordan Peterson. I don't really have to introduce him. But Jordan Peterson's uh, beginning this conversation by talking about the hemispheres. And he says that each hemisphere of the brain differs significantly in terms of their neuroanatomical structure. And he, he asks, why is it necessary to look at the world in two ways? And why is it so necessary that this bifurcation is conserved across evolutionary history? And then he asks, what are those two ways? So he's asking Ian to, to talk about the left brain and the right brain experience and to explain why it's necessary that we have to look at the world both ways. And Ian says this. He says, every neural network we know of, even the most ancient ones, which is a 700 million year old sea anemone, is asymmetrical. Uh, and then he says, um, 
why, why is it, by it he means the brain, why is the brain asymmetrical? He says, if you want to grow a brain, you'd grow it symmetrically. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything, almost everything in the world is, is like that. Yep. Bilaterally symmetric because it grows at the same rate on both sides. So you end up with a symmetrical thing. If you want to grow something, he's saying that'd be how you do it. Yeah. But that's not how brain grows. Why is that? Um, he says even the skull that the brain grows in is symmetrical. Yep. So why is the brain asymmetrical? Um, he says, why is the connection between the two hemispheres? It's something called the, cor- the corpus callosum. Um, he says, at least as much, if not more, in the service of inhibition than facilitation. It's as though there is something really important about keeping these two things apart. So you have to kind of picture the brain here. The, the right side and the left side have something in the middle that connects them, called the corpus callosum. It's the only thing in the brain that is symmetrical. Hmm. And it connects the right side to the left side. That's that connection. Everything else is separate, but it does have that one connection. What do you make of that, man? Um, I don't, I mean, you saying that it seems important to keep them separated is, you know, it's like what? Well, well, Ian said that. He's, oh, he's, well, yeah, he said yeah. the connection reading that, and the separation is equally important. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know, man. I don't know what to make of that. It seems... Um, what do you make about the, the asymmetry part? Because you brought that up earlier. Um, I, I, I mean, it seems like one part is maybe doing more work. Than, like, okay, if you... if What am I trying to say here? If you apply, like, the logic of the rest of the human body, mm-hmm. like muscles and shit like that, right. um, to it, then you would assume that one side is doing more of the work. Right, yep. Um, but I don't know that that's necessarily true. Well, I think it's a, I think it's, I think it's a good uh, analogy because we're not talking when we're talking about the right and left hemisphere. And guys, if you go and you look it up, you can see this. It's not like we're talking about one is bigger than the other mm-hmm. necessarily, but the structure is different. Okay. So, you know, you would be right if one side was this giant ripped, you know, bulging muscular side, and the other side was a shrimpy, you know, side. You would, you would, you would naturally think that the that the bit robust side is doing a lot of work. The other side maybe isn't. In this case, they're just they're not so much different in size as they are different in structure. See, the, I mean, you know, I know that I've seen brains, and like you, you look at the two hemispheres, and one doesn't seem like oh, oh, like much larger than the other one. Right. They may not be perfectly symmetrical, but they don't like they're so close that they don't look visually right. off. Right. Um, but I know that. Like brain function has a. Have you heard this? That brain function has a lot to do with like the the curls and like oh, the yes. the wrinkles that you see in your brain. Yeah. Like, like if it, you have a smooth brain, you're like I mean retarded basically. You know yeah. What I mean, I, I think I remember hearing that the that the grooves in the brain that they give it more surface area. Mm, okay. So you have more neuro, neuronal connections that and, and activity. It's like um, if you unrolled out all the furls um, into a straight line, let's say, you'd have a much longer uh, piece than what you've condensed into this ball. Yeah. The same thing like if you pulled out our intestines or something. Like they're, they're formed that way specifically to give more surface area in brain tissue. So that's, so, so that's kind of what I mean. It's like um, I would assume that, you know, it, what, it's the right brain that is like the more that it's the master in the situation. So it's the I would assume that that part has more, 
you know, of those yep. folds, uh, you know, whatever. So I've got I've got a bunch of quotes that I figure we'll read like back to back, which where where I took them from different parts of the pot of the podcast, mm-hmm. but where Ian specifically says the left brain is like this, the right brain is like this. So I compiled all those all those quotes so that we can read through them and try to get a better understanding of what the left does and what the right does, got and it. that's coming up here very very quickly. But the but the point I was making about not just being a size difference is that um, the conclusion might not be that uh, one side does more work, but it might be that because they're shaped differently, that they function differently. Sure, it's not like one does more, but they do very different things. Mm-hmm. And I think that so that has something to do with this this asymmetry idea. Got it. All right, here we go. Uh, let's read another piece here. There are two neuronal masses, by this he's talking about the right hemisphere and the left hemisphere, uh, that can direct attention at the world. The left hemisphere tends to specialize, here we go, it's going to get into it, left hemisphere tends to specialize in targeted, precise attention. And the right hemisphere is much broader, it says vigilant kind of attention which actually sustains the being of the world. This is good. This is like the order principle, you might say. So you, so the right hemisphere, he's saying, is the piece that takes a look at the big picture and and, and is able to to uh, translate the world as like a one one thing mm-hmm. uh, as a whole. Where the left brain is looking at just individual pieces all the time. It doesn't have a whole. It only has little little individual pieces. Directed attention. Got so it. left hemisphere is like that. Right hemisphere is big picture. Okay. Okay. Uh, all right, he says, um, he says, it's interesting, he says that the right, that the right hemisphere sustains the being of the world, because he's basically saying without that right hemisphere function that gives you the broad picture, that this whole complete picture of the world, that you would, um, you, you would be like, like a, a child or somebody with the worst ADD you've ever, you've ever heard, you just go from one thing to the next and never have any idea of, yeah. It seems to me on some level, too, from what I understand about the hemispheres, that the right hemisphere is, like, more involved in creativity, too. So, I mean, you know, if we're not creating, where where would the human race be if we hadn't started creating things, you know? So I'd just be... So I think that, is that the right or is that the left hemisphere that does the creativity? I think it's the right, but I'm not 100% um, sure. Well, maybe he'll tell us here. Maybe he'll tell us. Um all right, he goes on to say here, it's only when you see the broad picture that you understand that they're not actually things that go to be put together to make the broad picture. There are things that are isolated out of an already connected picture, which is which is weird. Basically, it's a way of him saying that you need the left to populate all the individual things that the right understands as a whole. Mm. So, you know, you I'm just picturing like a blank canvas. The left hemisphere is painting each thing one by one. The right hemisphere is the thing that looks at the picture, mm. that sees the picture. The left hemisphere only sees one thing at a time, the dog that it's painting, the tree that it's painting, the sky that it's painting. Mm-hmm. Only exists, the left only has that one thing that it can hold on to, the right seeing the whole picture, painting, that yeah. kind of thing. Yep. All right, here's some more about left and right. Doesn't that seem like it would be creativity? Well, let's, let's find out. I don't yeah. know. Um, the left prizes certainty. It's uncomfortable with ambivalence. So you are you must already be right then. Yeah, so the right hemisphere it must be the creative part. So the left prizes certainty. It's uncomfortable with ambivalence. It's interested in capturing what it thinks it knows. The right hemisphere appreciates that we must hold multiple views, multiple possibilities together. It's more interested in discovery and explanation. Well, I don't know, man. Yeah, that, I think that's good. I think the right must be the creative bit, but it, it continues here. The left hemisphere abstracts. 
it tends to abstract from the body and from the context. So, so you so you might say you see a bunch of um, you see a bunch of uh, animals, let's say uh, a bunch of a bunch of um, different kinds of dogs. Mm-hmm. The left hemisphere abstracts the idea of dog from a bunch of different examples. Gotcha. So the the left hemisphere abstracts. Uh, the left hemisphere is concerned with categories. The right hemisphere, the unique case. See, this is already muddied in my mind because earlier it says, earlier it says that the left hemisphere tends to specialize in targeted, precise attention. And then down here it says the left hemisphere is concerned with categories. Yeah, that's and you'd think the unique case would be targeted. And- yeah. There's also the possibility that I wrote this down wrong. <laughs> well, the, I think maybe it also could mean that, okay, so if the left brain is interested in categories, uh, like something, you, you have to know about something to put it into a category. Yes. Whereas the unique case, it's a unique case. You might not know that much about it. Yes. You know, you're just, you're d- discovering, you're like fig- pulling it apart, seeing what it's, you yeah. know, how it's put together. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, like I said... Categories implies that you you know you you've already done that you know this is made out of this so you categorize it you know yep. the, and the other point they make about this categorization thing is that the uh, the human brain does that you know that's like what it's really good at yeah as uh, you know at, at putting things in categories and the reason that it does that is to so that you don't have to think about it yep and they explain that it's like if you if you um, Jordan was Jordan was talking about the houses on a street so he's lived there for twenty years. So the houses on the street to him all look the same. Mm-hmm. That's uh, yeah. That went you know the first time he went down that street, and he was looking at every individual house and noticing all the differences. Uh, but it takes a lot of energy and brain power and all that to to focus on the houses like that. Once you realize that there's no nothing more valuable to harvest from that information, then it all gets put into a category, and you just kind of. You know, you just kind of put it on the shelf in the back of your mind. The shit that I don't need to pay attention to the category. The shit that I don't need to pay <laughs> yep. attention to. It's interesting. Yep. Um, all right. Just, I mean, you're right, though. Think about how, like, dysfunctional you would be if you had to be fascinated by everything you saw. Just like, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's like tripping all the time. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say that. Yeah. That's like doing mushrooms and going to work. Yeah. Like, good luck getting anything nightmare. done. Yeah. Everything's distracting you. Everything's beautiful. Everything's infinitely mm-hmm. complex. One time I took acid and I went, uh, I was like, I got a little while before it kicks in. Let me just run into work to grab my <laughs> paycheck real quick. And I was like, I have to get the fuck out of here. Like it started way oh, earlier. Oh my than I God. So, but you know, that's uh, a story for another time. Yeah, man. Uh, did you have any difficulty hiding it? No, because I got the fuck out of okay, there. Yeah. I was like, all right, I'm leaving. I'm out of here. Yeah. Uh, all right. So here we go. This is a long time ago, not at my current job. Just a disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, let's get some, let's go back to the left hemisphere because you get a couple of, of these. So I'll read again. The left hemisphere is the part that abstracts. Um, it abstracts from the body and from the context. It, and it's concerned with categories. I guess that does make sense. Then it says the left hemisphere is not very good at understanding. Again, it's not the big picture. The left hemisphere is not the big picture, so it doesn't okay. really understand you know, the big picture. Got it. All right. Then it says focused attention is what the left hemisphere does, but it's incredibly limited. So the left hemisphere is focusing in on the details, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but it, but it's, it's peripheral vision is black. Single task. Single task. Yeah. Okay. All right. Then they make this, uh, they make this distinction in here about 
the, to comprehend something or to apprehend something. And when they when they started talking about that, I was like, "Hold on, a goddamn minute." Let me guess: the left apprehends, the right comprehends. I think I think so. Yes, yeah, that would make sense to me. I think, but I had to literally because those are words that you would use, that you would hear, that you kind of understand. And until somebody asks you to define it, it's yeah. like I get it. But as soon as you ask me to tell you what it means, oof, then I'm tripping over myself and feel like an idiot. So yeah. I so I looked them up. Yeah, that's hard. That's always hard. It's like I can use this word in a sentence and it will be right. But if you ask me to like give you a uh, a concise definition of the word, that's hard. It's man. really hard. Yeah, really hard. But so so to comprehend means to actually understand something, where to apprehend kind of just means to like en- hold on to, to it. encounter it. Yeah, yeah just okay. To, so so and, and that's very true, man. You can absolutely encounter something and not understand it. Sure. And I think that's important, and it's an, it was an important example I wanted to bring up earlier. Um, that uh, Jordan. Jordan Peterson will talk about knowledge where he says that you it's impossible to have knowledge without um, without representing something. And it's like the psychological idea that we can get into, but it's not really all that important. Um, now I lost my train of thought. Where was I going? Son where was I going with that? Oh, the comprehension, apprehension. Um, I lost. I'll come back to it. Circle back. All right. So uh, I'll just keep going here. All right. Here's another another um, excerpt here. Perception and attention and judgment are better performed by the right hemisphere. Perception, attention, and judgment by the, by the big picture side of the brain. Only apprehension is better performed by the left. Okay. So, so that yeah, first that, encounter with something. Yeah. Um, the, only thing, huh. the only thing the left hemisphere is better at uh, is, is getting a hold of an idea, a very precise, clear one that it wants to use. Oh, I know what the example that I was that I forgot earlier. It's about not being able to see something. Um, like you can't encounter something if you don't know what to expect. And so the and so the idea might be: uh, imagine that uh, that Roswell crash, that uh, alien spaceship crash, that people mm-hmm. said people said that they saw writing, like hieroglyphic type writing on it. Imagine you had a piece of metal like that. That you didn't know the origin of, and it, and it and it has this symbols written on it that's nothing like you've ever seen before. I would be so excited. Well, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you a you you couldn't read it. Yeah. And b you couldn't even be sure that it was language. Yeah. Like, maybe it's just decoration. Yeah, maybe nonsense. It, maybe, yeah. yeah. So so the idea there is because you don't have anything to base it on, you kind of can't even see it. You can't you can't experience it um, because it's. It's just kind of a strange thing, but this is the idea of apprehending something, that you can apprehend it, you can look at that alien, whatever that writing is, and not comprehend it. Mm-hmm. Don't know what it is, even though you have had this experience of it, you've introduced it into your brain. It's interesting. Yeah. And that's what the psychedelic experience is like, to, to a, especially you know the really uh, dissociative kinds. It's like um, you, get placed in this, you get placed in this world of apprehension, where you don't comprehend anything. It's yeah. just... Yeah, that's scary. I wonder if I wonder if that like DMT type of experience, if it has something to do with left hemisphere consciousness, like if it just, you know, uh, inhibits the right hemisphere, and you just go into this crazy left hemisphere world. Hmm. You think it would be the left hemisphere in the DMT world, huh? I don't know. I don't know either. Because it's hard to say that you comprehend anything. I have to be honest with you. I think that the DMT experience is transcending the, 
the the hemispheres of our brain. I, I think I have a feeling that that's the case. Mm. Something like that. Uh, my my take on it is something like this: um, when you understand that the the world to be fr- a fractal um, process, that that means as above, so below. It means mm. that whatever God is 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 something like what I am. Whatever the heavens are is something like what the earth is. You know that that kind of thing. Um, that that you can imagine there's an infinity of possibility latent in everything. Kind of like, kind of like, I, I, I could consider you to be God the way that you are. You should. <laughs> and I could take one single atom out of your body and consider that to be God. That's God too. And the reason is that consciousness exists in both of those things and consciousness is God as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So, um, so there's not a difference between the, uh, you know, perception of you and the perception of the atom um oh boy i'm losing with the thread that i was that was unraveling on this one yeah um shit what was that what were we talking about just before that um well i said that i think that the dmt psychedelic oh, that, experience that's transcends so imagine something like this the chemical mm-hmm. uh, of the dmt has latent in it um god yeah and that your experience of that of that molecule is it's like um, experiencing an entire an entire reality self-contained in that molecule just like the one we're we're existing in now as above so below the fact that the molecule exists in a material world it, it doesn't have to be this ethereal spiritual non-material thing it's like it's like within that chemical, yeah, you, have, no. you have this this experience of an entirely different reality. Yeah, and I don't think, when I say that it transcends the hemispheres of our brain, I'm not saying that I think it's like some, you know, like mystical God thing. Um, although I don't, I think that it is kind of that too, <laughs> yeah, to be honest yeah, with you. Yeah. But um, what I mean is that, you know, like I was talking about before, I don't think that our sensory perception you know biological device that we have is really um developed to show us the truth about reality you know so that's what i mean by it it's like uh, i don't mean that it's like some kind of like mystical thing although again i think that it is i just mean that it's um Mm. it's beyond our brain function i think like i think that reality is more than our like left right hemisphere current brain model you know i think there's more going on than we're capable of understanding yeah i I do too i do too but i think that the that the bifurcated brain was designed to give us to allow us to uh, boy it's hard to talk about you think it was designed you would use that word i yes yeah but i'm not saying (laughs) this, this all goes back to how you define god I think and what we're going to get to here is exactly this point that what God is is a process that that requires both God and and man both being and non-being both God and and reality whatever God is is a, is a back and forth between them um it, they that they require one another and this is why we have a right brain and a left brain and it's it's connected to that okay. that idea that's why we that's why we're partly conscious and partly unconscious we're talking about synonyms we're talking about the same thing i'm all conscious just so you know i'm like always on so i had a thought um just like breaking down what the left and the right brain do i it makes me wonder like you said that the left brain is better in that initial you know the meeting of something that first meeting yep 
Uh, it makes me wonder about animals and like their left right breakdown, you mm. know, because I think of like a deer or just any, you know, any kind of like small prey animal, uh, you know, they hear something, they're like, you yep. know, they like eyes get all big and they're like concentrated on just that for a second. And you don't think you don't see much creativity. You don't see much, uh, you know, so I, I wonder, are they more left brain? Whereas we have more going on in the right brain. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, boy, I don't even know. I don't even know where to begin on that. I mean, it's 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 possible. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, there's something about animals kind of operating on instinct mm-hmm. that I don't understand. I mean, uh, I definitely don't understand it. I mean, I can say I don't understand it. I guess that's true. But I also think that human beings are creatures of instinct just yeah. as much as animals I are. So it's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to break that apart. Yeah, we maybe our instincts are a little bit more complicated because we convolute them so much. But I kind of think meaning is an instinct. Sure. Yeah, I think I agree with that. All right, here we go. Back to it. Um, all right, so it says, here we go. When you have damage to the right hemisphere, your grasp of reality is impaired. Now, this doesn't happen. Can you read that again? Yeah. When you have damage to the right hemisphere, that's the big picture okay, side. Okay. Then your grasp of reality is impaired. It says you don't connect with it. Your ability to understand what's going on disappears. Hmm. It's not like, you know, you're still conscious, you're still aware, but you don't, you don't have any idea what's going on or what anything is. Can you imagine? crazy can you imagine being alive and aware and just everything is confusion there's no connections between anything it's just like fuck man i I wonder i wonder if that's how like it just seems like a terrible existence i wonder if that has something to do with like really severe autism or maybe like if that's how those people's experience of the world is like you know what it makes me think of immediately it made me think of this and it's funny because it's not even really the same thing that you were describing but it made me think of that movie memento Mm-hmm. You know, where his brain, you know, he got a head injury and his, you know, no more short term memory. Just his sense of time is just completely fucked. Can you imagine? Oh, man, that's crazy. And, it, you know, that's a great movie, by the way. Great for movie. For those people who haven't seen Memento. But uh, the thing about that is the guy in the story, he's like, sometimes he's confused, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but he's not like um, so confused that he can't. Operate, hunt down his people. Yeah, you know, he, hunt he, down people to kill. Yeah. <laughs> he's he, he's he's doing crazy, sophisticated stuff without short term memory. He's got yeah. no context as to, as to what he's doing, and he still functions yep. and has goals and like drives it. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, that's a great movie. Yes, it is. Christopher Nolan. He's a motherfucker. Shout out to Christopher Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> all, right. all right. So it says. Um, all right. So it says when you have a left hemisphere stroke. On the other hand. You have difficulty speaking and using your right hand, but essentially your grasp of the meaning of the world yeah. is sustained. I'd, yeah, it's if you had to pick, it's like I'll take the a left hand yep. stroke, please. And that's that's what my what my aunt had then a oh, left yeah. hand stroke. She can't she doesn't feel the right side of her body that kind of thing. And um, I mean, I I assume that that would be probably more in line with like motor skills too. Like you would probably be fucked up physically, but you'd still kind of understand what's going on. You're yep. not, you're not like a vegetable. Exactly. So and that, yeah. So my, it's my not aunt, a nice thing to say, but I guess, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, my aunt is not a vegetable. No. Uh, all right. All right, here we go. Um, the idea of the master and his emissary. So this gets to the point of the book here. The idea of the master and his emissary, um, 
the right hemisphere knows that it needs an emissary. So the right, mm. the right is the master. I remember um, saying this. Yep. So the right hemisphere knows that it needs an emissary to do the functional administration work. So it's aware. Uh, so it's aware that there's stuff it cannot get involved with that it cannot know. The right hemisphere knows that, while the left hemisphere knows everything in its eyes, mm-hmm. because it only knows a tiny bit and it's explicit. The new, the, no nuances, no shades of meaning. I. Um, it thinks it knows it. Its downfall is that the left hemisphere doesn't know what it doesn't know. So that's really interesting, man. What do you think of that? That's very interesting. Uh, it again calls back to I'm going to find out who said this quote one of these days. The the known unknowns and the known knowns yeah. and the unknown un- blah blah blah. Yep, makes me think of that. Um, and I, I do wonder if things like do things switch between hemispheres. That's interesting. I, um, I don't know the answer to that, but it sounds like, in general, at least like the main functioning is very much separated. But there is that connection between the brain. They must have some Well, I just wonder if... Interactions. Like, if, like, I'll just use learning, like playing guitar. Mm-hmm. Learning to play guitar. I would assume, and this is just based on, you know, the little bit that I listened to that podcast and what we've talked about here, so I could easily be wrong. But I would assume that... Like, learning to play guitar is going to be a right hemisphere thing. And then once you know how to do it and it's, like, fine-tuned and in your muscle memory, that it would kind of go over to, like, a left hemisphere thing. Yep. So I think I agree with what in in general, but I think I'm swapping the the sides here. Really? It seems like the left hemisphere is going to be the side that's playing the chords for the first time. Hmm. Then once you understand the chords and you have them down, then they get shifted over to the to the big picture side. But I don't know. When in reality, it's probably like a a, a combination of both. Yeah, a synthesis. I think yeah. you're right. I, I th- absolutely. I mean, like I, the the right hemisphere is going to be involved in like the overall like the the song. You know, like thinking hmm. about what song you're playing. Whereas the left is going to be moving the fingers. You know, like oh, yeah. making things sure making sure things are where they need to be. Hmm. See, I know Jordan usually says, he calls that procedural memory. Um, and so uh, probably that's a psych- psychological term, but when you've learned something that y- you can do kind of without thinking, like I can type without thinking, mm-hmm. that I've moved that process to procedural memory. But what I don't know is whether the procedural memory is housed in the right or the left, or if it's a synthesis situation. It's interesting. I don't know. Um, but I, what I do think is interesting about this is actually a, a kind of a political connection and I don't want to bash the left because I do it seems like I do that a lot um, <laughs> they make it so easy they're, they're, they're the most annoying right now uh, between the right and the left the left is the most annoying right now but this is what it says it says while the left hemisphere knows everything in its eyes because it only knows a tiny bit and it's explicit there's no nuances there's no shades of gray <laughs> it thinks it knows um, you know and its downfall is that the left doesn't know what it doesn't know so this is what I think. You could say that same sentence to me about the left in terms of a of, of a political conversation, sure. that, and it's related to that maniacal arrogance thing. That the left side, the left hemisphere, it's only focusing on the one thing. It doesn't have any idea what, of what the big picture is, but it know it goddamn knows that one thing inside and out. Yeah. So it thinks it knows everything because to the left there is nothing else. Yeah. It only focuses on one thing at a time. So its consciousness of the one thing is complete. Yeah. And so when you when you you know, put that on the on the, uh, the messaging from the left. That, that's what you should get. You get 
you get this no nonsense, this uh, you know unequivocal, no gray. We know what we know. What's right? It is weird that it tracks over like that. That it is that's weird. the left hemisphere of the brain, and that's the left side of you know because it's been different ways in in the past. You know, the right has been crazy. Uh, you, you know, can't tell that. I mean, they're like that now. To be honest with you, it doesn't even hold up. Um, when you like really get to it, but as a broad principle, yeah, it's like perfect for right now. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so I think that's basically what I had in terms of introduction. And then it starts getting everything else that I wrote down. Mm-hmm. Guys, it's the stuff that is mostly along the lines of the stuff I'm most interested in. There was other stuff that they, they talked about. I just, yeah, I'm not bringing that to you. I'm bringing you sure. the stuff I thought was interesting. Absolutely. All right, so at some point, uh, <gasps> Ian and Jordan are talking about attention because Jordan is trying to understand what do you mean by attention exactly? And that's an interesting question. Yeah. Because, you know, ask yourself that question right now. What, what do you think? How would you just define that? It's if another you had situation, to? yeah, where it's like, I know what attention is, but telling you, it's, it's harder. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and the reason, and I'll just read it to you, but Jordan asks, okay, well, what is attention? Ian says, attention is the way in which the individual disposes of his consciousness. Attention is how you dispose your consciousness towards the world. <coughs> and, okay, once you've said it like that, I kind of completely understand. It's like... You know, I'm aware of the world, but I can focus that awareness on on something if I want to, and 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 you know, filter out other things and 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 focus that cons- that that uh, consciousness like a laser beam on whatever this one thing is, and that's different than just kind of opening up my door in the morning and looking out at the scenery and taking a deep breath. That's a very different type of of being conscious, right? Yeah. Yep. So that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Um. I don't know. I like it. All right. So here's more on this. He goes on to say, the qualities of the world that come to your attention are determined by the quality of the attention you bring to the world. Oh, yeah. Okay. So this is kind of like, kind of reminds me of the secret. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That, you know, what he's basically saying is that how you choose to focus your attention on the world changes what the world is to you. Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of an intellectual way of saying saying it but i mean it's kind of like saying you get in what you get out what you put in you know that kind of a thing absolutely um and i do think it's funny that you know when you say it that way it sounds kind of corny it sounds like a motivational you you know you got to get out there you get what you you know you get what you <laughs> give i can't even say it i can't even get the phrase down <laughs> but i just think it's funny how often the corny things are true you know the corny things are often true yeah um, this I got a, I got an interesting twist on this one. Tell me what you think of this. So you know how I, obviously Ian McGilchrist doesn't come from this perspective, but I do. That I believe that um, reality is is nothing but consciousness experiencing consciousness. That that's all there is is God, and that thing is what I'm calling consciousness. <coughs> when he says that the qualities of the world come to, come to your attention, what the qualities of the world that come to your attention are determined by the qualities of the attention you bring to it. That what that means is we're talking again, attention is focused consciousness. So imagine I'm I am consciousness existing within consciousness. I focus on something. I focus my consciousness on myself and it changes the world around me. Right? So based on how I am attending to the world, the world changes. So I'm consciousness changing consciousness mm-hmm. by by focusing my consciousness on it. This is a way of, of saying that. You create the world through your consciousness. Yeah. And that's, some, that's something that you can obviously 
resist because you you don't see you know it's, it's, this isn't like Inception and I'm full I'm using my mind to fold up the universe in any way I want. Yeah, I think of it like um, the way you were describing it made me think of like a person sitting at like a, a clay spinning wheel mm-hmm. and they're making a jar, you know, um, or a vase, and you. <laughs> You know, it's like I use my consciousness to reshape consciousness by focusing my consciousness on other consciousness. You know? <laughs> That's exactly but, it. But like you were, you know, like you think about that person sitting at the the wheel shaping that thing, like your consciousness is your hands. I mean, like just by paying attention to something, mm-hmm. you're like reshaping it. It makes me think of, um, you know, that test with the waves and the particles and, yep, you know. Just makes the, me think the of the double that shit. slit experiment. Yeah, exactly. No, I I agree. I agree. So there's some there's some there's some way of interpreting this uh, that you, the quality of your of your consciousness uh, changes the quality of your ex, of your existence. Mm-hmm. There's something about that that you can you can you can uh, interpret from there that that basically says your consciousness cr- controls your reality. That that mm-hmm. that how that doesn't make you God is is you know. You can't argue with that at that point. It's one interpretation, not one that Ian McGilchrist would make, but one that I'm making. Yeah, he mentions panpsychism in this podcast, he does. doesn't he? He like, does, yeah. and, he, and he and you know what, man? And he and he's pretty enthusiastic about that idea. Yeah, I thought so too. I, again, I was distracted, so it's hard for me to remember the context. But I do remember him saying panpsychism specifically, and I also remember it was at a point where him and, and I'm sure you'll get to this, um, where him and Ian or him and Jordan Peterson are kind of. Um, I, so one thing about this podcast is there was like a weird vibe between them at certain points. Like, yeah. I feel like Jordan Peterson goes to a little bit more, uh, I, I don't mean this as an insult, but I feel like this is maybe how Ian McGilchrist would phrase, he wouldn't phrase it this way, but he yeah. would mean something like this, that Jordan Peterson goes to a little bit more of a woo woo place yeah. than Ian McGilchrist is comfortable with. Yeah. Agreed. Um, and there was a, there was some interesting vibes going on and and uh, like we talked about this before where Jordan Peterson he's like he's different than he used to be he's like worse about interrupting and stuff yeah, like he yes. just like at one point Ian McGregor is trying to make some like fine-tuned point and Jordan Peterson is interrupting him and he says something cra- some crazy Jordan Peterson thing he says what he says exactly is it's like you're building a little machine Ian <laughs> 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 Gilchrist just like trucks through him it's so yeah funny. it just keeps right on talking yeah, yeah it was hilarious well, but they were they were probably also doing that interview uh, with the delay yeah so, yeah, yeah but, I, but I, stuff I know what you, I know what you yeah. mean yeah yeah that was very that, that part but specifically was so fun it's like you're building a little machine but, but, but you know but what, what he's talking about in that context though is that when you when you um, act in the world, that especially when you're doing something new, like like learning to play guitar, like sure. you said, that you are building yeah, wiring yeah. in your brain, that you're practicing is liter- literally building the electrical wiring in the neurons in your brain that you need to f- be able to, to actually play guitar. Yeah. And that's another interesting relation to this, is that if you put, focus your attention on learning to play guitar, and you and you try and you fail and you try and you try and you try and you try, that eventually your you will make you will force your brain to build what it needs to allow you to play guitar. And the only thing that has built that thing in your brain is your trying, yeah. your, your consciousness. That is, <coughs> how can you not jump to a hippy dippy place when when 
a cut and dry scientific fact is telling you that your consciousness is capable of creating a new system in your brain, <laughs> a little machine, like yeah, you said, yeah. to, uh, to, to um, allow you to do what you want to do. If you set your mind to learning to play guitar and you're willing to sacrifice whatever you need to do that, yeah. um, you can literally, by your force of will, create the brain f- systems that you need to play guitar. That's fucking amazing. That is crazy. And it kind of means we're God, I think. <laughs> it kind of means we're God. All right, moving on. This is a good one. Uh, Ian McGoker says, I think subjective and objective is a mistaken dichotomy. To think of it as an objective world out there and a subjective world in here is one of the problems of modern Western philosophy. Okay, I like that. I See, don't. I do too. Yeah. Um, what, do you, what, do you, what do you have to say on that? I mean, what do you, what do you think about that? Um, that that subjective and objective are not separate things. They so shouldn't, they shouldn't be thought of as separate things. You know, as somebody who I come from a more right wing tradition of things. You know, I mm-hmm. think of things as a, and a lot of the times with those types of people, they are like objective reality. This is how things are, and we need to base our behavior off of that. That's how conservatives are. I mean, I'm well, just yeah, thinking I mean, of the... Yeah, yeah. Well, you're right, you're right, you're right. Traditionally, so. that's Tradition. kind of a conservative thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. There's a lot of, you know... But it, um, I don't really... Where I was going with that is I consider myself to be more right-wing, but I have a serious plot problem with the idea of objective reality. I don't know that it's a thing, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, so uh, I don't really... And how would you explain that? That you don't think subjective reality exists? Objective. Or objective reality exists. Um, I mean, I just think... I don't know. I don't even know the best way to explain what I mean by that. But um, it's just like that everybody's perception is... It's their perception. And, you know, it's hard. I, I don't know that... Even if there is some kind of objective reality, I'm not sure that we could ever prove it to someone yeah, else okay, anyways. I, I, okay, I get you. So it's not that there isn't objective reality. No, it, it, I'm not sure that there well, is. Well, but, hold on. Let me yeah, finish okay. my sentence. It's that even if it exists, you can't know it. Sure. Yeah, See, yeah. I think uh, that's definitely the uh, truth. Oh, I, and I 100% agree. Yeah. And, my, and my take on that is something like this, that what the thing behind our perceptions is God. <clears throat> I think that's the case. What that means is harder to describe. But I think that's that's the objective reality. The thing behind our perceptions that everybody experiences okay, differently I see what you mean. is God. Yeah. Now, I think people experience things differently. I think that's true. Yeah. And I think that's related to the fact that whatever God is, is a, it's a transforming thing. It's never the same thing. I think that's what makes it eternal. That's what makes the idea of God eternal. It has something to do with transformation. That is a hippy-dippy thing to say. Um, without explaining, and I can't really do that right now, but I think it's connected to the fractal nature of reality. That the that and we can talk about that. You know, I have already, but we can talk about that more. That there's something about this transforming, uh, this way of understanding God as a tra- as a inter- eternally transforming potential that's connected to this fractal fractal image that you see in like mystic experience. Hmm. All right, all right. Back to uh, kicking it back in gear. This objective and subjective dichotomy. Um, the, uh, the other reason this is important is because when he says when he says that uh, subjective and objective are not different things, and then he says that 
it's there's not an an objective world out there and, and a subjective world in here, is that there's um that there's a synthesis there that there's something that's 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 important that connects your experiences to your uh, what what you know whatever's behind your experiences to to your your reality, and when he goes on to talk about criticizing science, that's what he's criticizing them for. Mm-hmm. He's saying that science gets rid of the subjective; it doesn't study the subjective, so it's missing half of reality. That's why modern science, and he says modern Western philosophy, is off the mark because it's continuing to dive deeper and deeper and get more and more sophisticated on one half of reality and takes no account whatsoever of the other half of reality. And that is so true. Yeah. As, you know, science can't tell you anything about consciousness because it's not, it's not, it's not studied it yeah. you know, in, in the modern world. Yeah. It pretends it doesn't exist. Yeah, I. Uh, it's weird. You know, next week we're going to do an episode of a podcast that I kind of picked, and it's weird, the crossover. Like, really? I mean, there's. I told you I'm kind of picking, swerving into your lane a little bit That's with good, it. That's good, man. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there, there's just lots of crossover. I just think it's interesting. Mm, I can't wait. All right, here we go. Now we're going to get right into the hippiness. Um, so, uh, they were talking, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were talking about um, how attention creates the world. And so this, this, Ian says, to come back to the creation of the world, he says, not only does attention bring the world, you know, into being, um, he says, the world that you know, it also changes who you are. Um, attention. Mm-hmm. So the quality of your attention, yeah. so the quality of the attention you pay changes you the attender, is what he says. So... Earlier, we were talking about how focusing consciousness on the world could change the world. Like, uh, and, the, and the image that popped in my head was, um, I don't know if you ever heard this story, but when, when Michelangelo uh, was carving, um, uh, what is it, uh, David? What is it, the, the naked David with the, with yeah. the what, is it just, what is it called, David? Yeah. Yeah, okay, David. So when he's, when he's carving that statue, he, there's a story about him going to the quarry. And they were cutting out the marble for for the or, or he was directing them which piece of marble he wanted cut out, and he said that he was looking at the stone and imagining what it could be. So he's looking at this stone and he sees Michael uh, Michelangelo's David in the stone. Michelangelo sees Michelangelo's David <laughs> in the in the stone, and he's like, ah, that's the piece I want because he could see the he could see the potential. He he knew what he could what he could make the stone into, and that's what he does. He focuses his attention. Like you were saying with the pot, mm-hmm. chipping away at 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 you know all of the stuff that that he needs to chip away yep. to reveal what he knew was there. Yep. And so he focused his attention on the stone and made it into fucking David. Yeah. One of the, sure. one of the most beautiful works of art uh, of all history. Um. So we did talk about that how how you can use your attention to change the world. Yeah. That's an example of that. Here he says that when you do that, it changes yourself. Yeah. And of course, you know, you, you know that you learned how to play guitar. Yeah. Before you, before you focused your attention on that, you were a guy that couldn't play guitar. Yeah. Now you're a guy that can play guitar. I've also changed like a lot of things, uh, you know. So yeah, first, I mean, one hundred percent, I can I can attest to the fact that, you know, it, just the way that you pay attention to other things, you know, if you want to get good as fuck at soccer, you go out and you kick the fucking soccer ball around, you yep. know. Uh, you can do the same thing with yourself, you, but it's hard work. You yeah. know, you have, it's, it's probably, 
that stuff is probably harder than learning to play guitar and especially if it's like complicated shit that you have to deal with yep. and especially if you know you don't you don't have the resources and I don't I don't mean financially to like have help you know what I mean mm-hmm. um so yeah yeah I uh, had something lined up now my head is oh. now, now it's gone <laughs> but anyway the, the point we were making here is about uh in two different ways, in these two different passages, he's saying how consciousness changes uh, your reality, but it also changes yourself. So what we're talking about here, this is this is interesting. What we're talking about here is being conscious is changing reality and is changing yourself always. Yeah. And I believe that 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 bifurcation that we're talking about, this interaction between the world and ourselves, I think that's consciousness experience. It's experience of itself self-consciousness somehow that this back and forth we're talking about consciousness changing the reality and changing the world that's the transformation that i was talking about when i said god is it is it is eternal because it's a transform oh constantly transforming thing yeah that's what exactly what i'm talking about that 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 consciousness changes both sides of the interaction it changes the you know the the reality the world and it changes yourself it changes the conscious the, your, the consciousness that you are that that back and forth process of change that's related to the fractals that's the story of the fractals it's hard to put into words because i don't understand it all the way but that's something i've toyed toyed around with so i think that for a lot of people it's easy even if they don't agree it's easy for them to think of like human beings with their consciousness going around changing things and those things changing them um but if I understand the way that you believe this and the way that I believe this to be true. It's everything. I mean, it's Mm. not just like human consciousness. It's like the consciousness between the atoms in your body. Exactly. So, I mean, that's like, it's a big, it's a big thing. It's a big thing. You know, the thing that I said about that is, uh, uh, and one, one prior podcast was, uh, it was like imagining, um, the reality that we experience to be uh, so deep down in the fractal um, web, so deep down in the, the the consciousness ladder, mm-hmm. that we don't even know. We don't even know there's a ladder. We're so deep into it that we don't even know yep. that there's a ladder. Yeah. Um, sorry, this is getting it's getting poetic now. Let's get back to the material. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> And then he goes on to say that we're partly created by our culture and that we make it we make our culture what it is. And that's just an, ex- an example of this back and forth that, you know, and that this is a really good example because we, we it's so true. Yeah. You know, we we grow up formed by by nature, but also by culture. Yep. <coughs> and then and then our lives are the kind of the ex- experience of manipulating and changing that culture like we're we're a, we're a part of changing that culture just think about the way the culture was when we were kids yep. and the way it is today you know yep that's true and the culture used to be the way it was and that culture shaped the people who lived inside of it exactly. who shaped the culture that we live in now i mean and it's you know it's like a uh I mean, it can never not be like that. It's never not going to be like exactly. that. Exactly, exactly. And that's a great example, like a practical example of what we were just talking about. It's the it's the it's the the back and forth between 
between, between consciousness and itself that's mm -hmm. driving this change. And that, that culture example is a great example. Yeah. I mean, biological evolution is a great example. Yeah. You know, he, uh, again, I'm saying the world, nature is consciousness, and an animal is consciousness. So an animal is running around interacting with nature, and its interactions with nature change its, its evolution. It, change, it changes it, the structure of its body and yeah. its mind over time. And that's, that's another example. So you saying earlier that, you know, we don't realize that there's a ladder. Mm -hmm. Do you think that we are like on a higher rung of the ladder? Is that how you would describe that? Or it's, So I, I go back and that's a good question, man. I go back and forth on this. I go back and forth into thinking that maybe we're, maybe we're high up the ladder. Yeah. But then I also go back to thinking that maybe it doesn't matter where you are on the ladder. Okay. That it's an infinite ladder. Yeah. That every ladder Ooh. contains the the infinity of God. Every single one is 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 you know exactly the same in that in that way. Sure. Oh, so it I like does that it doesn't matter. Yeah. I like and that, that way better. it can be turtles all the way down, and it doesn't matter which turtle you're on, Kyle. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And that's what I mean when I say that the macro you, Kyle, is is everything you need to know about God right there. But I can take an atom out of your body and say the same thing about it. Something like, it. something like that. All right, here we go. Uh, Ian says, what do, I, what do I mean by we create the world through our attention? Because this, they, they, they did talk about this, which is interesting. He says, the right hemisphere knows that there are things it's not aware of. But the left hemisphere seems to take the attitude that if it's not attending to it, it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. So if it's not something it's paying attention to, it's, it's not there says, this is very dramatic in clinical neurology. So people who've had a right hemisphere stroke, they do not only know, uh, this is going to be one of those British sentences. God damn it. I'm going to try it again. So people who have had a right hemisphere stroke, they not only don't now pay attention to something, they deny that it ever even existed. So that's that little, okay. So he gives an example of an experiment from the seventies where the uh, right hemisphere stroke victims were told to describe their surroundings. They only reported the descriptions of things on the right. Whoa. The left side, um, it says that the left hemisphere pays attention to only the, only the things on the right. So the left hemisphere is connected to the right side of the body, right? So if you have a, um, you know, if you have a stroke, uh, what was it? I, I'm all confused again. Right hemisphere stroke, that you're only going to be seeing things um, on the left. And then, it say, and then he goes on to say, um, the right hemisphere pays attention to both halves of the world. So it's not the same thing with the right. Um, so when you have a left hemisphere stroke, the world is relatively preserved, which, which we talked about earlier. So this is, this is interesting, man. Um, so he's talking about creating the world through attention and using this example of, of somebody who's had a stroke on one side who can only see one side of their surroundings. Yeah. And Jordan Peterson talked about that with, with the same, same types of people. You put a plate of food down in front of them. They only eat one side of the food they don't even see the other side it's like the other side doesn't even exist yeah that's fucking weird it's weird it's trippy as fuck you ever you ever hear the, jordan talk about people who have that condition um where they'll be paralyzed or they'll be paralyzed or something and he says that they will they'll notice their legs they'll have a sensation and it freaks them out and they throw their legs out of bed like it's like like a like an like an animal jumped on the bed they weren't expecting, and they freaked out and threw you know threw their legs off the bed, and huh. pe and people will literally fall out of bed and hurt themselves because of they just noticed they had legs again. That's crazy. Like like you, your legs could just not be a part of your reality and then come back. That's crazy. Jesus, the human what? mind, man. I when you were talking about that, I couldn't help but think, 
you know, when you ask somebody like, what are you? A lot of people, they are like the consciousness that's like behind their face. You know what I mean? Yes. You're like this thing that's looking out from your eyeballs. Um, and, you know, a lot of that, that comes from like you were talking about, you know, when you have the stroke on one side, it's like the there's something wrong with the the mechanics up there. You know, mm. it's like you're not getting like part of the information to even look at over there. Right. Um, but that just makes me think that like a lot of what we are is just like, you know, like what, how would you describe sight? It's like electrical impulses mm -hmm. in, in your brain. Yep. Um, and I don't know. That's just like crazy to me. Well, you know, right. as you were talking, I just had this thought, imagine this. So <laughs> we talked about the right hemisphere and the left hemisphere giving us these different, these different uh, views of the world. Imagine if you had uh, an an extra hemisphere. Imagine oh. if you had a if you had a whole other way of experiencing the world. Like, I mean, I don't know what that what what that you know looks like, yeah. but I'm just saying if you if you if you had another whole other way, and you might even think of like a like the DMT type of experience or something. Like you, you know, that's a whole different reality that you experience. So maybe so maybe there's some relation to that 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 uh, you know the idea of having um, you know having Having two ways of of observing the world is is giving you a certain um, quality experience. But if you had a third way or a fourth way of, of experiencing the world, that maybe you would see a maybe you would experience a whole different reality. Okay. So like the you know like like this example was saying that the left brain might might disappear your legs and yeah. suddenly you don't haven't you don't even you don't even know what, that you ever had legs. Yeah. Um, that you can turn that on and suddenly you have legs again. What yeah, if you what yeah. if you could turn on another Part. part of your yeah. brain and suddenly boom what else might be here all around us That's all the time you know maybe maybe we do that and we, we can solve the dark matter and the dark energy mystery we just yeah I don't well, know let's do that let's uh, figure that out I'm having a dunkle dunkle I'm having a dun Duncan Trussell moment right Dunkle Trussin Dunkle Trussin moment <laughs> what do you think of that that's I mean that's pretty cool man I uh, I that that's all very interesting to me um I basically what I was getting at is that like to me, it seems like you are more those electrical impulses, like get going back and forth, oh, yeah. than you are like the thing, this. Yeah, you know, the, like yeah. you're. I'm talking about my body right now. You know, <laughs> uh, there's this show that we've been watching called Altered Carbon. Have you watched that? I, I tried to. I, I couldn't get into it. It really does just make me like. There's a. Uh, they switch consciousnesses between bodies, and mm. they call the body sleeves, no, and no, it no. just. I don't know, man. It makes me think of that. It's interesting. Yeah. Mm. Wonder what the future holds. <laughs> All right. What do we got next from Mr. Ian McGillicuddy? All right. He says it's been commented by one philosopher that it's almost like there is an ontological landslide. Things come in and out of existence for the left hemisphere. So this is just describing the way the left hemisphere views the world. When he says an ontological landslide, he just means literally what he said that if you were just a left hemisphere consciousness that things would just appear they would be there in in like kind of reminds me of uh maybe like a psychedelic experience but imagine just the image just appears and then it's gone and in, and to your to your way of thinking that's normal that's there's nothing unusual about that things just pop into existence and pop out of existence and that's that's par for the course yeah when you describe it like that i do understand what you mean about it being kind of like a psychedelic experience before i didn't i didn't i mean i was kind of struggling with what you meant by that mm. but i can see that um 
Yeah. Okay. All right, here we go. Uh, all right. Right hemisphere stroke victims. It says, don't only deny uh, that they have the left half of the body, which is not functioning properly because of the right hemisphere stroke. They will become irritable or go blank if they're asked about it. If you force them to recognize that they have a left half of their body, they will deny it and claim that it never existed for them and never will. That's weird. That's what, that's what he means by popping in and out of existence. These people don't know they have a left side of their body and don't have any memory of ever having a left side and can't even fathom what it would be like to have a left side of their, of their body. That's fucking crazy. All right, moving on. Um, he says, that's what I mean when I say that there are different levels of the creation of the world through attention in the two hemispheres. So there's some connection here to him, him saying, you know, this, this way of experiencing the world like that has something to do with how we create the world through our consciousness. So, I don't know. It's a little bit oblique. Moving right along. <clears throat> Things that are, are unfamiliar are better dealt with by the right hemisphere until the left hemisphere can put it into a category box. This is answering the question we brought up earlier. Yeah. Um, so things that are unfamiliar are better dealt with by the right hemisphere until the left hemisphere can put them into a category box. They're, they are probably entirely fragmentary or isolated in the left hemisphere, whereas the right hemisphere sees that nothing is ever ultimately unconnected to everything else. So the right hemisphere has that interconnected wholeness all the time. Um, things in the left hemisphere are frozen. They don't move. They don't change. Things in the right hemisphere are constantly flowing and changing. Although flowing and changing and remaining the same are not necessarily in opposition. As we know, uh, Heraclitus, he's talking about an ancient Greek philosopher, Heraclitus says, by changing, they stay the same, like, like the flowing image of a flowing river, that kind mm -hmm. of a thing. Um, where all, we're all, I believe, like these rivers, all living beings are. In fact, probably everything that exists is. Yeah. It's kind of kind of mystical for a for a psychiatrist. Yeah, that definitely is. I mean, I think one thing he I, he might have said this in this podcast. It's something I've definitely heard said before, though, is that like the quantum physics scientists, yeah. mm -hmm. they tend to have like a more well-rounded philosophical view of things because um, quantum physics is so like crazy, mm. you know. Um, whereas you know, what what has been considered like hard science up until fairly recently is all very regimented. It's, you know, categories. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, I think that's true. I, I think it's probably more true for the theoretical physicists than for the, um, for the, like the hard, hard science physicists. Yeah. Because those, those guys are only interested in what they can experiment with. And, mm -hmm. you know, nobody has the first, first idea how to do that with consciousness. So, yeah, true. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, and so this idea of, uh, of, of you know, things, things being like a, a, an ever-changing thing, and he says that that's like rivers, um, that, 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 that everything is like that. And so you've got this thing where your left, your left brain is, you know, focusing on, on like a static version of something. Even though things are always changing, it takes a snapshot Oh, so it, you know whatever it's uh, uh, focused on, it, it doesn't change. It's just this thing I'm trying to understand. I'm f trying to figure out, um, and that's interesting because that's not the way the world is. To his point, the world is not a f uh, you know a, a snapshot. It's a fucking movie, and uh, the right brain is looking at the movie, and the and the left brain is looking at slides. You know. All right, here we go. 
A woman who spent her whole life studying the birds of Switzerland said after a right hemisphere stroke that all the birds looked the same. Ooh. This is what happens in the left hemisphere world. Quality is replaced by quantity. Uniqueness is replaced by category. Another thing is that the left hemisphere tends to see things as inanimate, where the right sees them as animate. Okay. I think that's interesting. That is interesting. Because I, you know, there's two ways, I'm going to bring this back to God for a second. There's two ways that I think about God. And one of them is as, as animate. One of them, one of them is like a, like a living, like a living thing that uh, has drives and intentions. Yeah. And the other one is inanimate. It's like a process. Yeah. God is like a process of some kind that doesn't have any goals or intention or will. It's just a, it's just a process of some. It's like a mechanical process. Yeah. Um. I think that's interesting. I think I I, I kind of struggle with what I think God is with that. Sometimes I mean, I mean I know that I have will and desire and well I you know um we've had talk about uh whether or not we believe in free will but you know what I mean yeah, uh, yeah. I I feel as though I am like an individual consciousness um on some level so I think that we there's like meaning because I find meaning in things but I don't know that like the you know the entire god body everything I don't know that there's like a will or desire to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's funny because Ian McGilchrist kind of says he he thinks there is. Oh yeah. And well, hopefully we'll get there because I think I wrote it down. But he he we'll, we'll get there. Yeah. But it's interesting to hear him say that because you wouldn't expect that. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, being like a scientist again, you would uh, you know. So I, you know, I I think maybe going back to that fractal understanding, just trying to loop everything back to this fractal understanding. Is that um, something like free will, or something like uh, well, anything? Maybe anything is is changing based on the interaction be- between. Oh boy, I'm losing it. All right, uh, apologies. So, uh, so anyway, this lady spent her whole life studying birds. She's. Uh, oh, I wanted yeah. to say something about that. Um, so. What you were just about to read, the the lady spent all her life studying the birds of Switzerland. After she has the stroke, they all look the same. And you said that having a stroke in the right mm-hmm. side of your brain leaves you only able to concentrate on like quantity over quality, I yes. think is what it said. Yes. And that makes me think of this thing that I've heard people say when they talk about consciousness, talking about... Um, like the hard problem of consciousness that's things like that like why we don't understand what am I trying to say here so like material science it's all about like stacking things on top of each other it's all about the quantity of things mm-hmm. how many of these molecules you have and things like that Yep. Uh, we don't understand why we experience the quality of things Right. so that, exactly. that just makes me think of that and that seems significant like one yes. of those parts of the brain is the part that is is responsible for that thing that we have no idea about how it works you know yeah so that's uh, and that would be the right side mm. That's so interesting. Yeah. All the birds look the same after that. Interesting, man. Weird. Weird. All right, here we go. So Jordan, Jordan Peterson, there's talking about categories. Uh, Jordan Peterson says, um, what categories are for is to group things by how you behave towards them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, once, once a categorical structure has been imposed, it becomes difficult to see beyond the category. So this is interesting. Um, in Jordan Peterson's book, Maps of Meaning, he, he talks about um, uh, me, meaning, the word meaning, obviously. What does that mean? And he says it means implication for action. That's whatever, whatever something's meaning is tells you something about how to behave towards it or how to behave with it. It has an implication for action, for, for doing something. Sure. Um, and, and he's using the same word here to describe, to, to link to these categories that when we're talking about the left hemisphere of the brain, um, bringing, bringing that into this conversation. So meaning and categories seem to be related here. And, um, um, and then he, he, the point he's making is that once you've been able to categorize something, you don't see the thing anymore. You just see the category. And that's interesting because it's like if you don't have to put that level of attention on something, you're not going to. you gotta, yeah. you know, you got to conserve your energy. You know, I, there are things about human nature and they're good because we, they've gotten us this far. But, you know, just because something is a fact about us doesn't mean that it can't be exploited and I wonder if that is, like, maybe an explanation for something like racism. You know what I mean? Mm. I mean, I know we we both have, like, complicated ideas on racism. But I think that, you know, if we, if we operate so much on placing things in categories, that's so much a part of us, maybe we can do that in a way that is not good. And maybe mm. to take racism out of it, you just think more about, like, the relationship between you know, liberals and conservatives, mm. like you, they view each other, they've been categorized, mm. you know, these yeah. people are Nazis, these people are, mm. so, you know, social justice dude, warrior so people. Yeah. You know, because, because when they, when they talk about people in groups like that, this whole class warfare, group warfare stuff that, that we get from the left, um, what happens with grouping people into, into groups? And this is what I've been pushing back on, like, since we started this podcast yeah, talking yeah. about that is that when you do that, you eliminate all the nuances. You don't have individuals anymore. You just have a group. And that's what we're talking about here from, from the functioning of the brain is that the moment you can, cat, you can categorize something and, you know, it doesn't even sound like the category is all, is all that relevant. You can kind of invent a category, put things in it, and then you don't have to know any of the details about them anymore. Yeah. And you're even you're, it's like you don't even see them anymore. Like, like, like Ian says, it's like they don't even exist anymore. And yep. then you can treat them any way you want. 100%. Because they're just a group. Yep. A label. It's a trick as old as time. Mm. Tale as old as time. <laughs> okay. A lot of Beauty and the Beast references <laughs> in this podcast. Oh, Jesus, there was, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Uh, all right, here we go. Ian says, the single most important difference of all, which doesn't at first strike people, partly because they're, used, they're so used to living in a world of, of representation, that is the distinction between the presencing of something as it comes into being for you and your mental representation of it. So I think he's talking about your perception versus the reality here. He says, it's like a caricature or a category thing or a verbal sign so that the, le- the left hemisphere's addiction to understanding things via language is very important because after all, language makes everything the same. As Nietzsche says, it makes, some, it makes the uncommon common. Okay. So he's saying that the distinction between your experience of something and, uh, or the actual, your experience of the actual thing and the representation of it in your mind, the thing you're actually experiencing, that it's like a caricature of the real thing and that it takes away all of the details that make the thing, that make the thing significant. 
um, that you, when you reduce it to a word, as Nietzsche says, it makes the uncommon common. Okay. It, it takes the unique thing and makes it into a category. Gotcha. Okay. So I'm imagining like um, the people who sailed around the world the first time, they get over to South America and they've never seen a fucking parrot before. Oh, man. It's this crazy colorful bird. And first, you know, but now it's a parrot. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's... Uh, so that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, you're right. That would can you imagine being the first <laughs> the, the, the fuck? being the first European guy to see something some tropical crazy animal that you never saw. Oh man, it must have been must have been like seeing a mythological creature come to life. For sure. I mean, I think that um it, being raised in an era where we've had access to zoos and the internet and books, it kind of you know, you would have to show us some kind of crazy Martian or something, you know. Um, I mean, I oh, think yeah. you can still get it. You watch like those deep sea things and you see something and you're like, what the, <laughs> what fuck? the fuck is that? <laughs> but you know, uh, back then I, I, I can't even imagine, mm. you know, mm. crazy. So that, that reminds me, you know, like, uh, almost everything has a face. Almost kind everything of, yeah. that's alive almost has a face. Yeah. And, uh, when you go down deep into the ocean and you start seeing things that don't, that's what freaks you out. It's like you, you know, you catch a fish. It doesn't matter how weird that fish is. You, you reel that thing up out of the water. You look, you look at it with from your two eyes into its two eyes. Yeah. You take a breath from your nose while you know while it it yeah. breathes from its gills. You know, you look at it in its mouth. You, sh you maybe you show it your teeth. It shows it your it shows its its, its teeth. Whatever. Uh, yeah. You've got you've got the same basic structure of face. Yeah. And it's connected to uh, what I was saying at the very beginning about the brain, that nature preserves the things that work yeah. so that's why everything has a face um, and what worked was a bifurcated brain yeah and that's why all brains from the very beginning of time all you know neurological networks even that of the basic sea anemone that doesn't even have a brain just a neurological network it's asymmetrical just like our brain it's interesting man it is interesting you got anything else on that before we move on um I feel like I did, but it's it's slipped away from me. I should I should make better use of this pen and paper in front. Yeah, of Yeah, it happens to me all the time. Plus, I had a bunch of caffeine, and I'm like just He's going, just buddy. Edge, just bro. going. Yeah. I had a bunch of caffeine too. I feel all right though. All right, Jordan Peterson <laughs> says. Uh, so you have a complex world that's multitudinous and too complex to even see. Multitudinous. <laughs> multitudinous. Well, this idea of think something being too complex to even see. Um, that's interesting. It's that like, is. you know, but you, maybe you guys have all had that moment. Like, like, let's say I'm just pulling this out of my head. Cause I have no, like, um, uh, uh, what's the word mechanical skills, you know, really. And you know, the idea of opening up the back of a computer, you know, or, or, you know, opening up a hard drive, looking down at all those wires and computer chips and, and solders and, you know, all that stuff though, you know, it's like, if I had to open that up and it was important and I had to do something there or I, I, the world was going to end, I, I can imagine opening that up and I'd see nothing. Yeah. Like I'm looking at it, I can see it, but I see nothing. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at it, but I see nothing. Absolutely. And th there's a legitimate, I can, I can, I'm telling you, that's what would happen. Yeah. I'm looking into this mystery and I don't know what I'm looking at sure. and I basically see nothing. Yeah. Because there's no meaning. There's no implication for action. I'm looking at this thing and there's no meaning to me. Yeah. I don't know what to do with it. Yeah. I don't know what to do with it. I think of like a topographical map or something. It's like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> I, I don't know. It showed me how to read a topographical map. <laughs> That's a good you one. Know? Yeah. Um, well, I was going to say something else. I completely lost it though. But yeah, that that is interesting. Yeah. 
So, um, but, but there is some truth in that, that, yeah. that things can be too complex to even see. Yeah. Makes me think of that saying, seeing the, or missing the forest for the trees. Yeah. You know, it's like you're, I, and I feel like maybe that's a, like a left brain thing. It's like you're focused on like the trees, you know, and you just miss oh, all of that stuff behind yeah. it. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So, all right. So, uh, so you have a complex world that's multitudinous and too complex to even see. And then there's a perceptual act that's turned into a perceptual image, a house, say. And then there's a further compression and eradication of information that enables it to be represented by a word. So he's basically saying, you've got this crazy complex world that's way too complex for you to even have have any idea. Um, And then you see something and you you turn that perception into an image in your head, a representation. So I'm looking at a house on the street what I'm actually seeing is a, like a picture of the house that I've created in my mind, not, mm. not the actual house. Um, and then I erase all of the information about that house that's relevant, its color, its size, its, its design, its placement. I get rid of all of that information so that I can get to the word house. Which is like a category. Which is like a category. Yeah. It's amazing. And that's exactly what we do. We do it all the time like way, way more than we can possibly imagine. And we're not even aware of it. Yeah. You ever seen like in a movie where, you know, there's supposed to be like some kind of computer, like think of Terminator, Mm -hmm. you know, he's walking up to the bar and his image, his vision is just like scanning like the motorcycle and telling him the model and all that stuff. Um, I think of, you know, we don't have that visual interface, but that's kind of what our brain is doing all the time. It's like, oh, you yeah. know, computer, table, uh, floor, you know, just like yes. constantly like firing information at you. Like, like just categories. Probably like a trillion calculations oh, a minute yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's doing all of that unconsciously so that you, so that you, we, so that the world is simple enough for you to act in it. Yeah. <laughs> That is amazing. That is fucking crazy. And the thing about that that I think is interesting, maybe the most important, is that the world is infinitely complicated. And I think of it, and this goes back to what we said about perceptions, the thing behind your perceptions that you can't really know. I believe that that is something I call infinite potentiality. It's like this, it's like this, it's like this, uh, like, boy... I'm at, boy, it's imagine a material that you can tur- that you can turn into anything you want. It's just, it's infinite potentially. It's something that can become anything. That's what's resting behind our perceptions, and our consciousness changes that thing into whatever it is that we see, yeah. whatever it is that we experience. The thing that we're looking at is God. It's whatever it is that can be what whatever it whatever there is. Yeah. It's this it's this amorphous magical material that we we can know nothing about, uh, or maybe not material at all. Maybe consciousness, something like that. Um, and then you know, I'm just getting real hippie. Apologies, uh, yeah. but but, so, but something like that, like our consciousness interacts with that with that thing that 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 gelatinous you know ethereal consciousness that's all around us mm-hmm. and turns it into the world. Yeah, and that is what you brought up about the um, uh, double slit experiment. That yeah. is what what the physicists discovered when they when they you know when they discovered quantum physics, the quantum nature of the world. So boom, boom chakalaka. Um, that is fucking mind blowing, man. It is mind blowing. You know, it's 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 that type of awe that's inspired me to to do this podcast to 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 share that with anybody else who might think it's as interesting as I do. Hallelujah. All right. 
okay, so then McGilchrist, he quotes a guy in here uh, named Max Mueller, who I happen to know, which is cool. It's one of these re- obscure references, this smart person. <laughs> Smart person mentions, and I'm like, I know that guy. I thought you meant you knew him. Like, oh, personally. Like, yeah, personally. Yeah. Oh, no, no, For no. For a no. split second, I did think no, that. No, I can understand why you would have think that, thought that. <laughs> Max Mueller is a, um, he's one of these early anthropologists. You know, he lived in like the, you know, 1800, late 1800s. Okay. So I didn't know him personally. He must have been really old when you knew him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he's, uh, you know, he, he's one of these guys that I um, encountered early on when I was doing like comparative religion. He's w- one of these early people that were comparing religions and, yeah. um, uh, anyway, he, he Max Mueller, I believe he has a uh, translation of the Upanishads that he did personally from, okay. the, from the Sanskrit. Anyway, so cool. Miguel Christ is quoting this guy named Max Mueller, and he says this. He says, we read encyclopedias and dictionaries, but none, but none of what these words represent actually exist. Because in the act of being represented, they are no longer the, <coughs> the thing that was present. The very fact of representing it suddenly stops the presence mm. of a thing. Stops the presence. Stops of Stops the presence of a thing. Okay, and and it's just kind of like what you what you said about having uh, an ex- a unique example of something like a beautiful house that you're looking at. Sure. And calling oh, it a house, I see, I see. and then it's no longer as soon as you call it a house, it's a category. It's no longer the, the thing that it was. Got it. Um, and that's interesting. He's like, we've got that. We've got these encyclopedias and dictionaries, these volumes of books that we've created, all these words that we've created with all this meaning, and that's super super important to us. And none of the words in those books exist. They're not, you know, they're, 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 yeah. there's, no, there's no real thing. You go up and you look the word house in a dictionary and you read it. That doesn't exist. No. There are individual houses, mm-hmm. but this abstraction that you're reading in a book doesn't exist. Yeah. That's brilliant. That is crazy. And it's, I mean, it, words are valuable tools, you know. It, they've helped us do a lot of things Mm -hmm. um but at the end of the day when it comes to consciousness and experience they're they're very imprecise for those things oh yeah um so that's interesting it is interesting oh god this podcast is going on long enough for me to have to pee (laughs) what how long are we into this this bad boy one hour 49 and we got a long ways to go if you're up for it we can we have potty break whenever you want buddy i'm down whenever all right let's read let's read uh, a little bit more guys getting a little inside baseball about potty breaks and whatnot. (laughs) All right, here we go. We now live so much in this virtual represented world, partly because uh, we're very much cut off from nature, which constantly reminds you of its vivid, uncertain liveliness, partly because we've learned to cut our minds off from our bodies, and so we think in this enormously abstract way, and partly because of technology. So this is what Ian was saying uh, about kind of the state of the world today. That um, that disconnects us from living, <coughs> from what what life's all about, and it's related to it's related to the malaise and the culture. It's related to it's related to the depressed state of um, of <coughs> science that he criticizes in here. It's related to the culture, socio cultural issues, and he he actually said at some point that. And this is, I'm paraphrasing, but basically said that the state of the world today reminds him of like the fall, just before the fall of the Roman Empire. Ooh. That's not comforting. Mm -mm. Well. And so the, 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 I think the connection he's making here is that, that when you represent, when you represent the world uh, so that you can experience the world, 
that you degrade the thing that you're representing. So you might say that if that's God, you know, that we're, that, that we're a representation of God so that we're not quite the thing that, <laughs> that God is. And then we turn around and represent ourselves in language. And language isn't exactly what the world is. You know, yeah. the world is something much richer and more beautiful and complex than the words, than the categories. Mm-hmm. And that, and that we, we, we've, done, we've made the situation worse yeah. By in, in our culture today, by living in a, a, a virtual life, by living in a representation of, of the world. It, for some reason, it's calling to mind like the idea of worshiping false gods mm. in the Bible. It's like, you know, like I said earlier, words and these ideas and abstractions, they're useful tools. They've brought us a long way. Um, and when something makes itself useful like that, you can maybe start worshiping it. You know, like mm. this is really important. This is, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, but we need to remember that that's not how things really are, you know. Mm. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah, man. It just, just makes me think, just made me think that scientists worship categories. Mm-hmm. Jesus, man. Like the, 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 the same scientists that tell us religion is hokum. And uh, all of that, that those people literally worship categories. They, they, they want to reduce everything to categories yep. and erase all of the, all of the real life details. Jesus, man. Yep. And, you know, they, they take that categorical, that lifeless approach and, you know, they start applying it to everything. You know, it's like a... And it maybe it might be good for the thing. It's good for the things that it's good for. Like I said, look at what we've done with it. Yeah. But when it starts to not be good is when we start like letting it affect our values and things like that. This, oh, yeah. This like the qualitative, quantitative, the when we only concentrate on the quantitative, um, mm. things are going to get I, I feel like and I feel like that is kind of what's going on. So right true, now. man. So yeah. true. It reminds me of the uh, the, the image of for our podcast. Um, like imagine I'd drawn uh, a realistic face um, and then I just took my eraser and I erased all the details, all the details off of the face that made it an individual. Yeah. And all, what I'm left with is that picture that we have on the podcast image of this face with no details. Mm. Jesus, man, that that's... Um, I mean, I can understand what Miguel Christ is, is, is concerned about and I can understand why that's bad and stifling and why he would be afraid that, that it, it would be leading our culture and society down into a bad, a bad place yep. to, to not have, to not have the nuances, to not have the intricacy, to not have the right brain picture. Um, For sure. Man. I, I mean, I, you think back through a lot of the atrocities that have happened throughout history and they're all, kind of based on putting people in categories, yeah. you know? Um, you know, I, I I make fun of people who beat up on Hitler because it's, you know, just that fucking dead horse, but it's an easy one. So, I mean, that you know, think about that. What was going on there? People were being put in categories. These yep. are the bad people. Yep. Um, so, and I mean, just throughout history, and it's going on right now, people are being put in categories. Yep. Yep. So. Yep. Uh, that is true. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Um, all right. Jordan Peterson says, um, even at the beginnings of perception, he's talking about the visual process of seeing, um, 
there's more input from what's inside. He means the brain than from the external world. That was an interesting, it's interesting as hell. So like there's, there's lots of stuff going on in your brain, a lot more activity going on in, in your brain that has to do with, uh, what you're seeing. Yeah. Um, that isn't information coming from your eyes. Yeah. That, that's amazing. That is, that's crazy. I mean, I don't know. What am I trying to say here? So I, I think it has, I think it has to do with this idea of representation. So like in order for you to see something, you have to represent it. Represent it. That's, this is the psychological, this is difficult. I've talked about this in the podcast before, but it's, um, it's like you have to create a, a, psycho, a, a psychic stand-in, like an avatar. Oh, okay. So I create an avatar in my brain of you, and then I look at you, and yeah, then, then yeah, I can I see you, because I just put your information on the avatar. Um, so I have to represent that avatar in my head in order to see you. Okay. And if I have a bunch of activity going on in my head that isn't coming from my eyes... Maybe that's building up that avatar. Maybe it's my brain saying, "Okay, here's the here's the scaffolding for this experience you're getting ready to have," and then I see what I'm what I'm supposed to see. And it happens very quick. There's no delay in my experience, but that there's more going on in your brain when you're seeing things than just what's coming into your eyes. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, you think about your like relationship with a person. It has much more to do with your experiences that you've had with oh, them than yeah. it has to do with what they look like. So, you know, your brain gets this picture and your brain calls up all of this data that you've been storing about that, you know, the person in that, you know, that picture that mm-hmm. is your your sight. Right. Um, that's interesting. It is interesting. All right. <laughs> I move it on. All right. So uh, now we're going back to McGilchrist. He says, the philosophy of, of our age, which is that there is only matter and that things are understood by reducing them to their parts. And this doesn't change them. And, and he says that like he's being facetious. Yeah, yeah. He's like, you can't, you can't understand things by breaking them up into their parts and expect that you haven't changed the thing that you're trying to understand. Yeah. It's like you can, it's like you can, you know, chop up a body into a bunch of pieces to see how it's put together, but you don't have the body anymore that you want to understand. You have a bunch of pieces. And then he says, it's a very naive philosophy. It's simplistic and immoral because it changes the way we treat the world, uh, other people and nature. It changes our idea of who we are in a very damaging way. This is interesting. So he said, and this is something you brought up before um, when we were talking about, I can't remember what it was, but um, I was talking about materialism as, um, as capitalism. And you were like, oh no, I think the, I think the understanding of materialism is to, to think of things as only matter. Like maybe that's the mistake. And it, I think it is. And, And this is what McGilchrist is saying is that the scientific perspective that everything is just matter and energy that, that by reducing everything to that, that you're missing something huge, some, some maybe the most important part of the picture. He, yeah. he, he calls it a naive philosophy, that it's simplistic, because you're obviously getting rid of all the subjective stuff. You don't have to explain that. Yeah. And then he says it's immoral, which I think is interesting. What do you think about that? Um, am- I, don't know what, I don't know what to think about him saying that it's amoral. Like uh, to, to, be- to believe that, that the world is only made up of matter is immoral. That's what he's saying. Oh, immoral. Immoral, yeah. Okay. That makes it different. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I, I kind of I tend to agree, but I, you know, um, sub, that's subjective, I yeah. guess. <laughs> I, I think maybe what, I think maybe what, uh, what he's getting at here is that um, well, he says that that it changes the way you treat the world and the way you treat people. So, like, if you believe that things are only are only matter, that. Uh, that, oh, that, that, for that, sure. Yeah, that, I see what you're saying. You know, you're much more likely to uh, manipulate somebody, or you're much more likely to, um, you know, uh, you, you know, make a poor decision. If um, you, I mean, yeah, yeah. If if you think it's just some some uh, some what's the word I'm looking for? Some molecules, some yeah, atoms. Every, just, yeah, you're not. Every, you know. no, everything's just a pile of atoms. So yeah. there's no there's no you know there's no meaning or nothing sacred or nothing yeah, you know. Yeah. So I, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, then he, okay, here we go. It says, the view of the left hemisphere of something and the view taken of the right hemisphere of the same thing can never actually completely marry up. They have different qualities, and if you push the desire to make them logically come together too far, you end up with a paradox. Okay, yeah, I might, I might need you to like go over that one again. He's saying that the the view. That your left hemisphere, uh, the view of the world that your left hemisphere has and, and of, that, that your right hemisphere has, can never can never match up. They can ne- they're not cohesive together. There's something about those two experiences that that are aren't cohesive. You can't understand them together. And if you force them to, if you try to, that you end up with a, something you can't understand. You end up with a paradox. Okay. So this is interesting, and this is what goes back to what he said about that separation from the hemispheres and connection between them are equally important. Um, that uh, that if you if they like like you said like we said earlier if you have both hemispheres completely connected without any separation that you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to understand anything that you what you what you would have is a paradox so my experience of you from my left hemisphere and from my right hemisphere can exist together or you go away something like that it's crazy man crazy does make you wonder like. It makes you what that makes me wonder about reality. Like yes. if it, if uh, if I'm just not seeing it and it's not there, like is it there for other people? I mean, you know, I don't know. That that's weird. That's all very weird. So th- what this makes me think of is something I said in a prior prior podcast about um about well I said it in a bunch of different ways, but um so so trying to Im- like remember earlier I said trying to imagine God as everything yeah. uh, kind of makes makes it impossible to, to have any knowledge of God. To understand God is uh, everything altogether. You have, there's nothing outside of God, so you can't know anything about him. That if your right brain and left brain were connected fully, without any separation, that that's what happens. When I say you go away, that's what I mean. You become one, you go away. Like, uh, like considering everything that exists as God altogether it kind of becomes this concept of nothing. Okay. So that, that, so that, you know, all things considered together is nothing. That's what I mean. That your experience of the world is like this infinitely complex experience. And if there's no separation between it, if there's no betweenness, like Ian McGilchrist would say, if there's no music to your experience, it just goes away. Got it. It's so mystical. It's so mystical, man, and beautiful. Yeah, that is. 
and it and it ties it ties that music idea back into to our like lived experience. Like you know, Jordan's always talking about how being is musical, and I have a really hard time understanding what he means. But I think that there's something to that. Yeah. The, there, there's definitely some kind of deep connection uh, between music and uh humans i mean you know i i don't know i mean i don't know about anything else <laughs> I, I i don't i have a hard time connecting music to anything else obviously but uh it definitely seems to move humans so yeah i don't know no yeah, i don't know either <laughs> <laughs> okay all right so uh let's see where how much do we have left here a little bit not too much okay cool beans all right let's just uh, plug through some of this. Um, so McGill Chris says, when I say conscious and unconscious, don't think of these as two separate realms, but instead like a stage where there's a spotlight and the spotlight illumines one part of the stage, but the rest of the stage hasn't gone anywhere. It's still there, which I think is, a, is an interesting uh, image. So the con- conscious and unconscious, like the light is consciousness and you know, the stage is unconsciousness and the light you know, shines a spot on the stage and that's like, you know, existence. And, uh, just because you can't see anything beyond that, that spotlight doesn't mean, doesn't mean that it's not there. Yeah. It's still there. That's that, that spotlight can move all around the stage. It can be all over the place, but when it, when it's in focus over here, everything over here is gone. (laughs) You got it. Yeah. Here's a really interesting one. This is him quoting another guy, but he says, what is thinking? Mm hmm. Um, it is not right to say I think, as in cogito, which is a reference to Rene Descartes' uh, "I think, therefore I am." But in the, he says, in the words of Lichtenberg, whoever that is, hmm. something is thinking in me. So it's not I think; it's something is thinking in me. Hmm. I thought that's that's really cool because that's kind of what it feels like, um, especially especially when you have an idea that dawns on you. When it sure. just like pops in your head, sure, it's like man, there was some thinking going on in in there, but it, it wasn't me doing it. Like yeah. it just, it's it unconscious makes, thinking. It also makes me think of like the flow state with uh with certain things. Yes. And, um yeah, I, yeah, for yeah. sure. Interesting. All right, now he goes on to say something about imagination, which I think is cool. Um, he says imagination has been relegated to the children's play box, so people don't take it, it seriously. Imagination. Um, he says. Uh, that this is something to do with fantasy. Whereas, in fact, I, um, I argue quite the opposite. Imagination is actually how we go to meet the world and understand it. And we have to imagine it into being. There is no alternative. There is no alternative, to he says. If we are not imaginatively engaged in the world, we just, we just can't see a lot of things that there are. So... It's just a, you know, guys, you have to keep in mind this is a conversation. So I'm literally reading verbatim, like, uh, you know, the way that you would write and the way that you would talk are different. So it's just kind of weird. Yeah. But, uh, but he's basically saying that, that people pretend like imagination is not, is not valuable or important. Uh, but he, you know, that, that we just, we just say, you know, like kids are, you know, playing with their, you know, their yeah. ma- imagination or something that it's just something like that. Where, I mean, whereas everything, comes from imagination yeah i mean yeah that's a that's a silly way of thinking 
and I think I think this has some connection to that idea of representation. It's like you you're, you're representing that avatar. Let's <coughs> let's say in your mind that you're doing that in your imagination. That that's yeah. and that that's necessary to have any kind of experience at all. So I'll say that again: imagination is necessary to have any experience at all. I mean, Jesus, that's amazing. It's an amazing thing to say. Yeah. All right. All right. So I'll go back to Jordan here. He says to posit that that one thing is better than any other and therefore to want to move towards it you have to have imagined up a better world so let me just say that again he's saying he's saying that for you to uh, let me just finish this <coughs> pardon me he says and that means in some sense that we're always meeting the world in a way that imposes our imaginative attempts to make it better but also that also brings the world into being so he's saying that uh He's saying that for you to do anything, for, for, for you to act, that you're basically saying you want to, you want to act to bring about a better world because you, you wouldn't act to bring about a worse world. You wanna, whatever you're doing is to make something better. Sure. Better for you. Better for you. Yep. And that, and that you have to imagine up what that better is. Mm-hmm. So you can't act in, until you can imagine True. How, what you want. True. Then you can act. Yep. That's amazing. That is. So he, he's saying you can't see anything. You can't have an experience of anything unless you have imagination. Now he's saying you can't act in the world unless you, have an, unless you, you imagine, you know, uh, what world you want to bring into being. Uh, and he says, I argue that consciousness is not secondary or derivative. It's actually irrational to suppose they are. Reason is on, on the side that they're ontological primaries, he says. Consciousness is is of its own kind. It cannot be derived from anything. It has to be primary, a primary constituent of the universe. This is no longer a controversial view, he says. It's held by many philosophers now in the form of panpsychism, which is where this comes in, uh, in which consciousness is in the cosmos, and the cosmos perhaps exists in consciousness. Or he, or he says it may be a conscious field. Um, and there are plenty of neuroscientists that agree with this, he says. Amazing. Yep. So consciousness might it might not be a secondary. It might not be something that emerges like when complex brains come about. But it's something that's primary that was here before anything else. Yep. And his argument there is that you can't create it. That it doesn't come from anything. Yep. So if it exists, it came from itself. Well, something that comes from itself is God. That's what we call that. The thing that's that doesn't need to be created. The thing that creates itself. Mm-hmm. That's God, buddy. Yep. That's fucking amazing. That is amazing. I just wish those dogs hadn't barked through the whole monologue. Son <laughs> of a bitch. Oh, they're still going at it, too. Fucking A. It's ruining this for me. Uh, okay. This is, this is that point I was telling you about that where McGilchrist talks about the universe in a way that makes it sound like God, like, like the way that, like it has wants and desires. He says, I think the cosmos has drives. He says, you can describe them in all sorts of ways. The fact that it changes and moves in certain ways according to, uh, quote, laws. And then he goes on to say, which may actually not be laws, but maybe temporary habits. We just don't know. They may be evolving, too. He says the laws that govern the universe might be evolving, too. Sure. That's amazing. And it's absolutely possible, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, he says, but the very fact that this thing... Uh, the very fact that this thing has this energy to evolve, to differentiate, to produce differentiation with, within union, this is a value of a kind. 
I can't get behind that, he says. So he's saying the fact that nature um, branches off and creates more of itself, but constantly changes and creates more of, the, the, of those things and changes and creates more of those things, that that's how the universe sort of happens. That's how the, that's how the galaxies are tossed around the universe. That's how a life evolves. That's how things are. He says that that fact, the fact that the universe is that way, that represents a value, like the universe has a value. It has something it values more than others because the things that exist are the things the universe wants to exist. Okay. Something like that. Okay. So the universe values me. Yes. But it doesn't value something that is dead. Something that doesn't exist. Something that doesn't exist. Yes, exactly. So does it value something that it existed at one point? Yes. All right. (laughs) I think so, man. All right. Uh, All right. Um, Probably the only reason to have consciousness at all is to come, uh, is to have a sense of something awe-inspiring, which is really what we mean when we talk about the sacred. That's okay. a, that's an interesting thing for an academic to say. Yeah. Probably the reason we have consciousness at all is to have a, a sense of something awe-inspiring. I mean, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means either. <laughs> what that means, man. All right, this is a good one. He says, God is not a satisfactory term. But it's the term you have to use, excuse me, it's the term you have to have to, to name an aspect of our experience that if we don't name it, disappears from our lives. And that's not to say that, that, that there isn't something there that merits whatever we mean uh, when we say divine. The, he, so let's just say this again. The, the, the idea that God, the idea of God, God is a concept. That idea exists simply so that we can reference some part of our experience that we don't have a way of talking about. Okay. I love that. Yep. And that is that is a great way of summing up how I feel about God. Um, the word God, anyways. Uh, because I don't really have a problem with using it. I'm I'm comfortable calling that thing God. Some people and I, I was I I guess I was kind of this way for a long time. Some people like, you know, they they're the hair on the back of their neck starts standing up if you call it God. They don't like it, you know. So I don't know. It's, well, it's funny you say that hair standing up on your neck. Yeah. Because that there's a word for that. And Jordan's talked about this and I don't remember the word. It's like a Latin word. There's a word for that experience that happens. Um, th- that actually happens when you experience awe. So, so that's not really how I meant it. I meant it like the way that it happens to a dog when they're pissed off. You know, I, I, I know, but that's oh. what I'm getting at. The experience that you have when you get goosebumps okay. and you feel awe of something. Got it. That's the same experience a cat's having when its hair stands up on its back. It's the same physiological thing that's happening to a cat or a dog. And it happens to them during like fight or flight moments. Huh. And so what Jordan said about this is that when a, when a uh, cat sees a predator and its hair stands up on, it, on, it, on its back, that what it's feeling is awe. What it's feeling is uh, th- this moment of knowing that it, that it's it could be it could be erased from existence at any moment. Wow. It's like this realization that it's in the presence of something greater than itself. Oh, okay. That's amazing, man. That's pretty crazy. Is that is that a good place to wrap? Do you think? It's up to I mean, you. There's material that we didn't get to, but it's up to how long? How long are we at? What do we got going here? Uh, it's 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 going it's getting close to two and a half at this point. Two so, and a half. Yeah. Holy shit. I mean, I don't care. We can keep going if you want to. 
Uh, well, or how if about, you just want to wrap it up. Well, how about this? I'll skip a little bit here towards the end, and I want to read something that I thought was funny. All right. Um, well, he said, uh, McGilchrist said, he doesn't think we live in an enlightened era. Yeah, he said if we live in an darkened era. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he says, what we think is enlightening us is in fact inducing misery. And it has something to do with it, with the nihilism and this depression and the suicide and all the stuff that's happening in our culture that he's saying is is a, is a consequence of us um, losing so much of the subjective part of our of our existence. It's like trading in this spiritual way of looking at the world to this for this dead scientific one, where we're all so supposed to be convinced that we're that we know all of this stuff for sure that we've been able to categorize the whole of existence yeah. and that there's no life anymore. Everything is this black and gray, you know, bullshit, you know, uh, tome or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he says, then he says one rather well-known historical figure said, man cannot live by bread alone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and who, then he says, who was that? Who said that? <laughs> that might've been, that might've been Jesus. Yeah. And then he says, uh, um, and the thing is that there's only bread in this story, talking about the scientific worldview. Yeah. Man cannot live by bread alone, and there's only bread in this story. Yeah. Fuck, I That's love it. Good. That is good. My parents will sometimes say that to my brother, Corey, who's yeah. been on, kind of on the podcast, because that motherfucker loves bread, okay? <laughs> uh, but they always say, it's like, well, that's not really what it, that's not really what they meant in the Bible, you know? Like, no. there's, it was a little more complicated than that. And I think that's, that's a way, good way to wrap it up, man. Life, <laughs> life is a, is a little bit more complicated than, uh, than, than we like to imagine. That's true. It's, it's more complicated than, than the most sophisticated scientists think it is. As Jordan Peterson would say, and now I'm going to butcher this quote trying to sign off here. Um, <laughs> he said, we're much more than we understand by a tremendous margin. Well, there you have it. That's one avenue explored, but infinitely more still to go. I hope you enjoyed thinking along with us. I know, I know. It's not easy work. Thinking. It's hard and full of uncertainties, but I'm grateful for the company as we trek through this together. Here's to hoping that the juice is worth the squeeze. See what I did there? Let's find out together in the next episode.